Hey, everybody. What are you doing? How's it going? Welcome to the Jeff Gerstman Show. I'm here this week hosting the program. My name is Jeff Gerstman, and I'm uh, I'm proud to be here with you on this fine uh, September... Uh, I can't remember what the actual... The, uh, let me look here. 12th. 12th. September 12th. Never remember that one. I don't know why. Um, we're here. We're ready to talk about the world of video games at all. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's been a, it's, it has been a snotty weekend around these parts. I don't know if you were here on Friday, uh, but when we were, um, streaming eight bit Nintendo games, my daughter was with me for the first hour. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was, it seemed like she was getting over a cold and then later that night a fever hit and she kind of, uh, sunk into her sickness for another day. Um, she's pretty much fine now. My son got it after that. My wife got it after that. I have not gotten it. Maybe have gotten it. I have potentially got something, but it's, it's, it's different for me or it is, I don't know. I uh I've been spared relatively speaking this time around. Um but yeah, my my son's been we've been medicating the kids and you know, my wife is she's she's got the, the maybe the worst uh, of it all. Uh we're, we're less than a month away from uh her uh her being not pregnant anymore. <laughs> and uh and so she is already uh, going through it and then to get sick on top of that has been uh, tricky. It's been tricky around these parts. Um, and of course, a ton of games coming out as well. Uh, and then this morning, actually, I guess last night, I realized like, hey, wait a minute, this toilet is leaking. And uh, so we had some plumbers in the house this morning to handle that. They were. It was two of them. I did not ask if they were brothers. I don't. I don't know how it works uh, with plumbers these days. You know, in the wake of the popularity of the Mario Brothers movie, if they send them out in twos or or whatever. Um, but it's it's one of those cases where they came in for a very quick toilet fix and then uh, walked around the house real quick and said, "Hey, you know, this is bad. This is bad." And I was like, "Oh, what? You mean this faucet that hooks up to the washing machine that I noticed a leak on two years ago is actually still leaking? Yeah, I suppose we should. Yeah, I suppose you could replace those as well. That's bad. It's, yeah. Um. So, it's one of those other joys of uh, moving, owning a home, whatever else you want to call it. Uh, is these last two years has just been one thing after another uh and so today was plumbing day and a lot of other stuff that was like out of repair in ways that it maybe shouldn't be i suppose is is the the right way to to do that so uh so yeah that was twelve hundred dollars uh in in plumbing fees but uh that's stuff that needed to be fixed and so what do you what are you what are you gonna do what are you gonna do you not fix it am i not gonna not fix it um so expensive morning but uh here we are podcasting you know the the, the, gloriously 
podcasting for the glory of podcasts and video games? And where would those things be, I say, without our sponsors? We're going to take one break here and then come back. We're going to talk about Forza Motorsport. Not the, the one that's coming out. Not the one that came out. This is the, the new the new one. They're making a new one. We'll be right back. I don't know about y'all, but everything has been so hectic lately. Everything has been so on the go, hand to mouth, let's keep it moving uh, as of late, that I have gotten big, big back into breakfast cereal. Uh, you know, it's some people are like, ah, oh, it's kid stuff, it's all this, but it doesn't have to be. Magic Spoon is here to help make breakfast cereal, you know, healthier. How do they do it? All right, look, they're making it delicious and they're making it high quality. Magic Spoon has replicated your favorite childhood cereals to taste good, but each serving contains zero grams of sugar, 13 or 14 grams of protein, and four or five net carbs of car net grams of carbs per serving. The honey nut flavor has, you know, like one gram of sugar in it. Uh, that's that's like the difference. So it's wholesome. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free. That's a way to kind of relive those moments, those childhood moments. But also, hey, you know, if you're not nostalgic about it, nothing really hits the spot quite like a bowl of breakfast cereal. And you don't have to have it just for breakfast. I've man, uh, these days it's been like, yeah, sometimes it's uh, in the morning. Like, hey, I gotta do a stream. I got, I'm, I'm getting ready to go. Um, I, I don't have time for uh, much, but I'm gonna get this nice bowl of breakfast cereal. And sometimes it's the middle of the night, and like I made a mistake. I have failed to eat dinner properly, uh, and and I've gotta just kind of do a little, get a little something extra going. They've got a number. Of fantastic flavors like cocoa, peanut butter, frosted, maple waffle, honey nut, cookies and cream, cinnamon roll. I, you know, I'm I'm kind of a partial to the the honey nut, but you know, maple waffle, cinnamon roll, peanut uh, peanut butter, peanut butter is pretty good too. Peanut butter. And hey, birthday cake is back. If you want some birthday cake flavored cereal, Magic Spoon is your hookup. They're celebrating birthdays early with this fan favorite. Um. You know, and and it it's it tastes fine. It tastes good. It's 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 quality cereal. It's not like uh, they're like, oh, we made it healthier, and as such, it's like eating garbage. No, this is the these are the childhood flavors of your uh, in a in a bundle that is you know uh, better for you. You know, I, I don't because I don't. I'm trying not to. You know, like uh, these these sugar free energy drinks, sugar free. I'm trying to get. You know, lower on the sugar, and it's always nice to get some more protein. Uh, you know, especially raising kids and everything. Like I'm, I'm constantly, um, I, I'm last on the food chain. <laughs> so, Magic Spoon is the sort of thing that can kind of save me. Uh, like, okay, all right, these kids got fed. Everything else is going on. Okay, great, great. Okay, terrific. Uh, now I'm gonna just relax here and have a nice cool bowl of cereal it's been really nice in the summer too you know i these hot nights it never gets cool it never cools off sometimes uh, a a bowl of of cereal and some nice cold milk uh is downright refreshing and that's been really really nice do you want to get in on this you do you do want to get on this head over to magicspoon.com slash jeff and you can grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself Be sure to use that promo code Jeff at checkout, and you'll save $5 off your order. 
Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the episode. Okay, we're back. Well, Forza Motorsport. Uh, this game's uh, it's right around the corner. Um, I wonder. So this is a, I, Microsoft, the Xbox folks, uh, sent out a preview build of the game, like a very limited, very limited in scope um, build of the game that I have been messing with a little bit here for the past uh, you know week off and on. Um, it's really just a taste. It's really just like here's the introductory series to the game. It's it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's again. It, there's not that much to it, but you do get a feel for like, hey, okay, cars are leveling up now, and that's going to unlock this, and that's going to and and the the graphical kind of options. Um, it's an Xbox build, so I've been playing it on a Series X. Um, was not able to try it on PC. Uh, that's just the the build that they had was an Xbox build. So, uh, you know, you can kind of choose between your, like, your performance modes and your performance mode that has ray tracing so it'll drop resolution to maintain frame rate while also having this. And, uh, and then a, you know, a mode that's like, hey, man, you just want ray tracing on all the time and you want a 4K? What if it ran at 30? And you're like, ah, yeah, uh, no, thank, no, I'm good. Um Driving games, they should run at 60. They've got multiple options that allow that to, to happen. Um, and I, I, think it's, I, I think it's a quality product. I don't know. I, I've always like liked Forza Motorsport. It, it's, well, I, that's not true. I did not like the first couple of them. I think when the game came to the, the Xbox 360... Uh, they, they over time, the, the, over the you know over those first few games, it felt like they were getting better at better at like figuring out what's the level of assistance we need. How do we find ways to make this appealing to a wider audience than just like the Gran Turismo car weirdos? And I think that around that time on 360, they really nailed it, really really nailed it, uh, and found a way to make those games appealing in a much wider way than I think that they had been previously. The meaning the the simulation style more serious quote-unquote racing um and they nailed it and it's been like that ever since <laughs> you know and, and then at some point drivatars came in and the, the ai uh of the other racers sort of changed a, a little bit maybe not as much as the hype would have you believe i suppose but uh um but you know the the ai did change when the drivatars came in and, and that stuff's still uh present here um but they have been making an amazing game for years. And so as a result, it kind of just, I, I have been less and less into motorsport as the years have gone on. Uh, because I had my time with it around Forza 3 and 4 uh, and played the, the heck out of those games. Hours and hours and hours. Uh, I got stupid deep into Forza in a way that I never would have anticipated. And then so, you know, when the Xbox One came around and, you know, it was like, here's this. It looks a little bit, it looks better. And, and you know, it didn't hit very hard. Also, they were competing with themselves with Forza Horizon, which truth be told is probably more up my alley. It's the, it's a, a better mix of, hey, these are real cars. We're serious about that. We're serious about the cars trying to be like real cars, but 
we understand not all of you want to just like race in circles. So here's some crazy stuff. Um, and so the Forza Horizon games, I feel like really undercut my personal interest in the motorsport games going forward. Um, and so, I, but also it's, it's kind of nice because it helps, you know, motorsport gets to then have its own identity without having to necessarily be everything to everyone. Um, and yeah, I don't know this, this new one though, it's, it's very, very approachable. Like all that said, it, it doesn't feel like they're looking at motorsport and saying, oh man, you, you crazy kids go play horizon. We're going to get, we're going to quadruple down on serious stuff here. Like if anything, like the, the level of assists and stuff seems, um, more substantial if you want it. Um, and it will, you know, default in different directions. Obviously, obviously it lets you choose and, and turn that stuff on and off in terms of racing line, race difficulty, and it'll give you credit bonuses if you are playing at higher difficulties. You know, pretty normal, pretty standard stuff. Um, and I guess, like, that's the thing I would say about this Forza Motorsport. It's pretty standard stuff. Uh, that said, running on an Xbox Series X, built for the Xbox Series X, so on and so forth, it looks outstanding. Uh, I have been playing in the kind of regular performance mode, not the the uh, dynamic resolution ray tracing mode. I, I messed around with that a little bit, and it's not that, you know... I'm beginning to feel like ray tracing is... Well, whatever. I'm, I'm not beginning to feel. Like, ray tracing is just not ready for prime time, generally speaking. Like, we're getting there with more interesting takes on it, and, you know, when Cyberpunk added path tracing as a, as a preview option, and... And everything like we're seeing really interesting things happening on that front. And I think we will get there. Um, But it just doesn't feel like it's the time. Like even still, even still, it doesn't even even with as many years as we've been dealing with ray tracing, we haven't really uh, gotten there yet, I guess, is is the thing. And so uh, to the point where like you turn on ray tracing in a lot of games and you're like, well, if I'm if I know what I'm looking for, then you look at it and go, this is really cool. But baked in lighting and all the other ways, all the other things that people have been doing to light their games for decades, they've gotten really good at it. And so when you go that route, it can still look real good. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's the the thing about ray tracing is is it's it's like awesome on paper. The performance hit, you know, I have a 4090. And so, you know, the performance hit for me is has become relatively minimal in a in a general sense obviously different games are going to do it differently but uh to me like the most impressive ray tracing things have still been things like um like that quake 2 rtx or the the minecraft mods that that have uh ray tracing in, in them you know like like that's been the stuff that you're like oh yeah this is badass um but you know uh driving game 60 you know you're you're flying past these turns and stuff you just don't notice it all all as much um and so yeah i don't know like the 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 trade-off between do you want dynamic resolution just to get ray tracing i don't know that i found it to be worthwhile i guess i would say and that's not because like oh they did a bad job ray tracing their game or whatever it seems more like no, it's just the lighting looks really good. <laughs> just the lighting looks really good without the ray tracing turned on. You don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need it. I guess I, I don't know. Um, it's frustrating, but that's that's just where we are. I guess as a people. Um, 
it's a great looking game. The <laughs> the tires, the wheels, they are so round. They are impossibly round. It is it is uh we have we have hit it. Uh you know, we're we're there and beyond, you know. Um I think it'd be interesting for someone to kind of, and I, and I did not do this yet. And I actually, I don't know that I am able to, cause I don't think the, I don't know that the version of the game they sent out still works. I think that it expired, uh, perhaps today or tomorrow, but, um, the kind of like side by side Gran Turismo thing, you know, I don't think you really, you know, like they're, they're, they're on par. Uh, I think this might edge it out in in some ways just off the top of my head, but it's been a long time since I've played Gran Turismo. And last time I did, it was in VR, so, you know, totally different set of challenges on, on that front, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, they, they just, it's a, it's a handful of races that kind of comprise the, the opening cup of the, um, of what will be the full game is, is my understanding of it. So you kind of get a sense of like, oh, they're going to have these other, you know, all these other cups and all these other things you can go do in the full version of the game. It's not present here. Um, but you get to go through that introductory set of like, you know, five or six races. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I guess like that's the, I don't, there's, I don't feel like there's a ton to say about it. If you've played these other games, you will level up cars to unlock the ability to tune it and stuff. So it's like they've, they've found a new way to build progression into the game. And it's hard to get a true sense of that until we see the full game and can really go through that progression. But I will say, you know, from the early parts of it, it looks like you're unlocking uh, parts and such as you level up the cars. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting way to do it. I, th- I think that's that's been like the the biggest, weirdest thing. That's been the, like the problem they've tried to solve so many different ways across the across the Forza games. Uh, Horizon as well. You know, it's that feeling of like, well... You don't want the early parts of the game to feel like crap, so you can't just stick people in the worst cars possible and have them be like, "Well, you're going to be in garbage cars for the next fifteen, uh, you know, the, the next the next fifteen hours or something, and then you're going to get to drive a supercar." Um, and then other games have been like, "Buy whatever, and we will we will shape the events that we serve you around the car you're in, so that you can, if you like that car, you can stay in that car." Uh, and and that has its upsides, but also its downsides of like, well, everything feels the same because I'm in the same car constantly. Um, and so it, you know, and and there's always, I don't know, there's always like business involved, right? There's always like, oh, well, we put this like fucking. Uh, we'll talk about the Crew Motor Fest in a little bit here. Uh, but the Crew Motor Fest is like they, I think they have, must have a Lamborghini on their cover. By the way, they throw the Lamborghini brand in your face as part of their onboarding. Um, so there's always that thing of just like, here's the cover car and you're going to get to drive it as part of our, and, and so Forza actually, Forza Motorsport, uh, yeah, they, they kind of put you through the, the, the paces here a little bit and, and do their thing. Um, my whole thing with those games has always been, I like to drive a tan- I I'm not interested in the supercars. I'm not interested in, Veyrons or what you know, whatever, all that others. I don't even I just don't pay attention to that aspect of car culture. It's just not interesting to me. Open wheel racing is not interesting to me uh at all. And so for me it's like it is that kind of you know, stock cars heavily modified, tuner culture, like like that that sort of stuff is where I am largely <clears throat> interested. Uh I, I used to say that like, oh, I'm very interested in like American muscle cars. 
But over the years, the thing I've realized is those cars just aren't fun to drive in video games. Fun to have in real life. Um, but I, I don't know that the American muscle car experience translates all that well to video games, especially video games that are trying to be like serious motorsports like this is where it's like drive eight laps around this course. I'm like, all right, I'm going to in a classic Mustang like this is weird. <laughs> like This is not what I want to do with this particular car. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting because they have to figure out like all of the yeah, like the handling in a muscle car sucks in video games. In real life, depending on what you're doing, yeah, they kind of suck too, um, you know, but uh, I don't know. You're just trying to go fast and fucking lay down rubber everywhere you go when you're driving a muscle car, in my experience. So, it's either that or a Supra. I don't know. I kind of, I like the look of the the current Supra that they're they're putting out. Um uh that's a that's a nice looking car too so i don't know like like those types of cars or muscle cars are pretty much uh my limited limit basically the you know the you know cars vin diesel would drive um sort of thing um but yeah i i i have you know i i think forza motorsport is definitely headed in the right direction i think that you know it's a great 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 looking game um and and it runs very well also. So I, I think that's, you know, that's really all you can ask for from one of these. Because again, I, I think that, you know, and an interesting progression. And, and that's the part that I'm looking at and going like, this seems potentially interesting. The way they seem to be handling leveling up. But I'm not 100% sure about it. Because, you know, you kind of need to spend more time with the game to to get a sense of like, okay, well, wait a minute. How, how long am I leveling up? a Am I, am I leveling up a car? And then how long does that take to level up a car? Is this... Is that going to, every time I change a car, is it going to be a drag to then do it? Is it annoying? You know, like, like there's, there's little bits and pieces around that stuff that, um, could go wrong. I I don't know, but, uh, but I, I look at it and go, you know, this seems like for, for a game that's taken some time off, um, to be coming back. I think in a lot of ways, it is still exactly the game you expect it to be, but I think that they have, they're at least trying some things around the progression stuff and, and the ways that you, get into the races that seem really interesting. Um, and then on top of that, it looks great. It handles well. Like, you know, it, it, it plays the way you want it to play, you know? Um, and so like, I, I'm not, I'm not super surprised by that. It seems like that's exactly what they were working on and what they were trying to have been trying to do and what they tried to do every time out. So I, I think that, you know, it seems like that there's the potential there for them to nail that all that stuff in, in ways they maybe haven't over the last couple of motorsports. Like the last two, maybe even three motorsport games, which I guess would be what, five, six, and seven, um, have felt a little lost. Where it's like they check all the boxes and it's like, here's all the tracks. It's the ones we made up, your Maple Valley, whatever. And, and then we got all these real world tracks too and and we're doing that stuff just fine, but there's uh, some soul missing from it. That was when the when the game went to Xbox One, and it's not just the way the crowds looked, though that didn't help. Um, the Forza Motorsport felt like it lost its soul a little bit. And you, again, I, I think I would chalk some of that up to the popularity of the Forza Horizon side of things and how lively those games can be. Um. 
Also, I guess it was a point where, like, I forget which one it was when they were just like, what if we got the guys from Top Gear? And you're like, that's, I don't, you know, that show has its, had its upsides, I suppose. Um, but the way that that stuff was implemented was just a little, also, I, did, I, did they time it completely perfectly where that game was coming out just as everyone realized, like, hey, that guy on TV that seems like an asshole, turns out he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, oh, good, good work. Um great timing for everyone involved and then they well whatever i don't know then they it's yeah i was gonna say amazon put out that other driving game that was based on the other show those guys made and that was an abysmal video game holy smokes what a what a mess that was um anyway uh that's yeah i you know i i think it's a if it sounds like a thin summary I, i think it's because like hey you know what you're getting with Forza Motorsport. I think that if you know, even even if the, the series has had a little bit of ups and downs, I think that it's been still quite reliable. Uh, and this feels like, again, for a game that's taken some time off, it feels like they really did kind of rethink. Like, hey, within the confines of like what we need this franchise to be, how can we reinvent it? How can we push it forward? Like, it really feels like that. It feels like it's well thought out. Um, that remains to be seen. You know, we'll we'll see the full game and see how well it actually all comes together. But like from the little bits and pieces I was able to check out, um, it very much seems like the they're doing the right things uh, for for that franchise. And and I'm very interested to kind of see the the full uh, the full product there. I wonder, uh, you know, how much, you know, there's not a ton of driving games coming out anymore. And so this is either like a happy coincidence. Well, maybe happy is not the word. Um, But they managed to uh, to send people this build of Forza and have like their embargo for people talking about it. uh, Let up just as the crew motor fest was coming out. That game is available. It's in it's like uh I think it comes out for real on Friday or something, and it's currently, and it's like, hey, man, if you buy the expensive one, we will l- happily let you play the Crew Motorfest right now. Um, And so the Crew Motorfest is is technically out, and I've spent some time with that. It is another driving game. It is, I, you know, what I've played is basically uh, stuff that I played back in June. I haven't really gotten out of the, the early parts of that game uh, yet. Um, it, it, the crew motor fest really because so I went back and, and had to run the crew two for a little bit to because they let you import the cars you own from the crew two into motor fest and so I had to launch the crew two to because I had bought the season pass but hadn't or you know they sent me the season pass uh but I hadn't touched the game since you know before all that stuff came out. And so I needed to launch it to create a new save with all the new cars on it and then uninstall the crew too, and then launch Motorfest. And it'd be like, you got 17 more cars. Um, like, oh, okay, cool. Um, not every car imports, but a lot of them seem to. And and that's, that's cool. I, th- I think that's a pretty neat thing, especially considering in the crew too, they were selling a premium currency for cars. If you want it, you could buy crew credits and best value your way into buying some cars and all that other stuff. Um, and so having those things come forward uh is is cool. That's uh that's that's nice. Um Benjamin in the chat says, I really liked crew one and I thought two was bloody awful. I yes. 
Exactly. The crew one was a neat idea that maybe, you know, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, not the longest lasting experience in my, like, I think I, I got tired of it or whatever. But when the crew two came out, it was like this immediate feeling of just like, I don't fucking want to do any of this stuff. Like the attitude on it, the everything about it was just like, and, and launching the crew two again, after all this time, it was a stark reminder of two things. One, God, that game is, I, I found that game to be kind of, kind of abysmal. Like that's a fine driving game, but it's like a lot of the stuff around it, the, like just felt bad uh the crew motor fest does not feel as bad the crew motor fest instead is like and then the crew two has some of this but this it feels so much more deliberate here the crew motor fest feels like they sat down and said these forza horizon games are quite popular um and uh we should make one of those and maybe in the back of their head, they're like, hey, you know, Forza Horizon doesn't exist on PlayStation. So at a bare minimum, by making a game like this, PlayStation owners are not being served one of these. A world-class one of these, by the way. Um, and so I, I, that's a, maybe a cynical way to look at it. But the Crew Motorfest feels like they just they wanted to make a, a Forza Horizon knockoff. And so it's very much like, the introduction takes you between like multiple cars and it's like, or you could do this. And like the PR lady for the festival is telling you about all the different things you can do on the Island of Hawaii. And remember it's fun and turn up the heat for the festival and you can spin donuts. And, um, and, uh, and so it's, it's weird. It is very much like a, we have Forza horizon at home. So it's very much a wish.com Forza horizon, whatever you want, whatever, whatever, version of it's the bootleg version of this metaphor you want to use i think they all kind of fit that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad game um i think what they're doing is corny uh the, the what they're doing is so you know like a lot of like a lot of driving games and we just got done talking about another one that does that like you know they, they're breaking their races up into these individual cups these individual sets of races uh, and these will be things like made in America that actually it's literally made in Japan. And then there's another one that's American muscle. And there's another one that's, and there's another one, like I was saying that it's like, it's the Lamborghini one because we had to do a business deal with them. And this is how we sweetened the pot for them by offering to make a whole part of the game about them. Certainly not the first time a driving game has done that. It definitely won't be the last. Um, but the thing they do is they try to decorate the world differently for the set of races you are in. Um, and we talked about this back in June, so I don't necessarily know that I, I want to, you know, I'll go into extreme detail. But if you did not watch what I played of the crew in June, that video is on YouTube if you want to see it. I think it still is totally valid, even though it's an older build of the game. Like playing it here on PC, it looks exactly like that. It looks exactly like that. Locked at 60. Um, don't get me started Um, no option to uncap the frame rate in fact the toggle looks exactly like the one in the crew 2 which I know because I had to launch the crew 2 last night to go through that process Um, so when you do made in Japan uh, this set of races that's about tuning culture and drifting um, they tinge the entire raceway in kind of this neon purpley vapor you know it's like the corporate vaporwave look 
It's the, it's the corporate vaporwave uh, uh, color scheme. And then there's a bunch of like dragons and stuff in like big dragon balloons or like they're wound around light poles or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's super fucking corny, you know? And then when you do, and sometimes it works better than others. When you're doing the, the like classic American car thing, you get that sepia tone style. But when you do the Lamborghini one as part of the, um, as part of the introductory, like, look at all these different things you can do. You can even drive a Lamborghini. You're just driving. And then the Lamborghini logo is just floating in the air every 200, you know, every set number of yards or whatever. You drive past the Lamborghini logo floating in the sky again. And it's like, what? What are we doing? Why is it like that? And, and so, like, it, it's, it, but I think that's a neat idea trying to like gussy up the races in ways that fit the motif of what you're doing. But sometimes it's like, and, and for some of the, yeah, it's, it's just a weird, it's a, it's a weird vibe. I, I I'm, I'll play some more of it because I'm curious, but like the, the build I played back in June, when you would do the classic cars one, it would have balloons in the air that would say like sixties, seventies, 80s you know it was just like that's what they came up with. It was like i don't know some decades because the cars are from those decades i don't know what to do here uh it's really crummy um <laughs> it's just it's not it's not very good uh and the lamborghini one is literally just the lamborghini logo in the sky as you drive by it it's really weird it's 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 just uh it feels like they had an idea and then did not budget appropriately to really truly makeover and and you know i don't know like stylistically or, or like from a creative standpoint how do you change a racetrack to make it look like lamborghini other than saying i don't know fuck it man the lamborghini logo is in the sky why do we i don't know um but yeah that stuff's weird the game itself i you know i think the cars handle well you, you have you know depending on restrictions or the parts you have in your car the cars will have nitrous. You will get XP for spinning donuts and hitting stuff. It's it's a uh, if you've played the crew two, it's very familiar, and if you've thought about Forza Horizon, it'll it's, it's very familiar as well. So it's uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a bad game. So I think in, in that in that limited scope of like, you know, if you don't play games on PC or Xbox, if you're a PlayStation player. Uh, then you've never seen the Forza Horizon games. And so, you know, the Crew Motorfest is is kind of as good as you can get for that style of open world racing game, as far as I can tell. Um, it's a nice looking game. The lighting looks good. The cars themselves look look nice. Um, I'd say it looks quite a bit better. Like the, the, the city, the environment, the effects, uh, all of that stuff looks dramatically better than the Crew 2 does on pc which the crew 2 is a pretty old game at this point so hopefully you know hey yeah but like again because i just launched and and drove around in the crew 2 for five minutes last night and looked at it it was like oh man this game looks like it's from the fucking mid 90s by comparison it's really crazy how how it looks um so yeah i don't know it's it's a good modern crew game and also you have boats and airplanes in it, which they had in previous crew games, but I thought that the Motorfest moniker and what they're talking about in terms of um, 
you know what you what you do in that game the introduction doesn't say anything about boats or planes so i think it's just because i imported boats and planes from my crew to save um and you can go around in the water and you sure can do stuff it, i didn't get the impression that there was a lot to do out there but i haven't spent a ton of time with it either so i just got my hands on it yesterday so uh so i will spend some more time uh with the crew motor fest which, yes, I'm playing it on PC, and it is locked at 60, just as the Crew 2 was. In fact, the toggle looks identical. It is 30 or it's 60. There's not an off. There's not an unlimited. Uh, it's just, do you want 30? Do you want 60? It's frustrating. Um, but, yeah. Uh, it's all right. Yeah, it at least, uh, you know, like I, I think that there's some, again, stylistic choices they made that are just kind of corny. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it seems okay. Uh, let's crack this open. We need to know. I, uh, my wife went to the dollar store. Uh, you're home for the best energy drinks in, in my, well, maybe this will be, I mean, I, again, scientifically we will, we'll find out soon. And she grabbed a can of this sugar free rip it energy tribute Active Mandarin Live Wild Lime. Active Mandarin. And then it's got a soldier down here. And it just says tribute. All, like it doesn't, it says tribute, sugar free. So I guess the flavor is probably tribute. And one would assume that it is a tribute to the troops. See how Ripit is supporting our troops. Go to our website. Okay. No information about the troop support is here. It merely just says tribute and there's a silhouette of a dude with a gun. So, <laughs> so you know they mean business. In my experience, only the trashiest of energy drinks. It, it's, I don't know. It must, it must work. But it feels like only the really low rent energy drinks are the ones that are like, this is for America. It's like offensive in a way, you know, like it's like they're saying that like America deserves the fucking worst energy drinks in the world. But I don't know, active, but then the colleague is, again, the flavors, it says active Mandarin live wild lime. Is that supposed to be like, I mean, active, like an active insurgency? I don't, I don't know. Live wild lime. We're firing live rounds. Here, this is these aren't blanks. I I don't know, I don't know. That's those are the, and it's got a you know digital camo, uh, you know style on the can here. Let's crack this open and just figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, I've cracked it open. Citrusy, uh, yeah, the Mandarin definitely like an orange kind of, uh, yeah, definitely an active Mandarin scent. Not so much of a lime on the flavor here. Um, let's get the list up just so we can we can move quickly here and get to talking about the news. Um, but yeah, this uh, this smells all right. This smells all right. Let's get the okay. Here we go. It tastes like a, uh, 
really crappy diet orange soda. So yes, like freedom. Exactly. I don't believe we have, and this is the first, yeah, this is the first rip it we've put on the list. This is, um, not great. I'm going to go ahead and say America deserves better. The troops deserve better. Uh, This is a a better tribute uh, than this. It's, uh, yeah, this tastes like a a diet sun-kissed gone wrong. Have you ever taken a, a soda or a diet? I guess I've only done this with diet Pepsi. Have you ever lost a diet Pepsi in your house? Like sealed, nothing, you know, uh, but like, oh, I it got in the back of a cabinet and then two years later we found it and you're like, look, it's got the Super Bowl on it from two Super Bowls ago. That's crazy. And then you think, oh, well, we'll just put these in the fridge because it's a can of soda. Like, what are they? Was it going to go bad? Um, and then you cr- pop it open and you're like, oh, these do go bad. Weird. I would not have expected that. Um, and the Diet Pepsi, in my experience, would taste like dirt. Literal, actual dirt uh, had been mixed into a Diet Pepsi. Um, this is what this kind of tastes like. And this is, I, there's no, it's not expired. I thought maybe, oh, well, well, maybe that's, you know, it came from the dollar store. So maybe it's been sitting on the shelves there for two years. Um, but it, uh, but this, this does not appear to be quite that old, but this is, um, it's crappy. It's a crappy drink. Um, And there's not a lot of information about the energy here either in terms of like how much caffeine is... Well, maybe we can shine a light on this. Two thousand milligrams of taurine. 160 milligrams of caffeine? What the fuck? Do these people hate our troops? 160 milligrams? Why don't you just like give the troops a fucking Mountain Dew at that point? This is, uh, you know, I feel like like a lot of things that claim to be uh, supporting the troops and tributes to the troops. I feel like this is um, not uh this is a scam you know it's a scam i don't know what i don't well, maybe we'll go to their website and see i mean i'm sure they're you know pr- probably actually supporting the troops in some monetary way or whatever but in terms of like if this drink is meant to represent the troops whoever made this does not think very highly of the troops because this is shitty in my view america deserves better um, so this is probably going to be relatively low on the list here. 
But in terms of like flavor, it's not like poison. It's not, you know, this this bottom of the list here, this is like rancid. This is like like what if you dipped a rat into uh cherry chemicals and then sucked the rat? You know, that that's kind of where we're at with some of these drinks here, you know. Um and it's not nearly that bad. Instead, it's more kind of like this, like, hey, the flavor's not good, but it's like um I'd rather drink a Miami Cola for sure, for sure. But it's better than the Wired X344 that we had last week. So it's somewhere in here. I'm going to say I would rather drink a Rise Fuel Tiger Blood. Uh, I'd rather drink the Muscle Farm Combat Energy Black Cherry. That's all right at a number 116. Um... So we're really narrowing it down here. Is it better or worse than Bang Lemon Drop Sweet Iced Tea is the actual question here. Um, I mean, at least Bang is a, it's a Bang, you know, so it's got something in it. Whereas this is, Rip It, okay, this is a long name, Rip It Energy Tribute Active Mandarin live wild lime do you think they wanted to call it live wire lime and then realized the mountain dew has a live wire and they they couldn't like get away with it this is also our longest drink name in here at 118 so congratulations to <gasps> rip it energy tribute active mandarin live wild lime for uh not being a good drink um, <laughs> I guess let's take one more quick break and we'll come back. We'll get into the news and we'll talk about if Embracer is really going to sell Gearbox or not. Jeez. Wild. Being too hot or being too cold can make a mockery of your sleep quality. If you're waking up too hot or you're waking up too cold, you should check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets inspired by NASA. Yes, no, the, the space NASA. Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Now, how does this work? Silver-infused fabrics. That's right. The, that makes the sheets thermoregulating. That helps you stay at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. It's been not even getting out. Of, you know, it's like, it's like high 70s at 4 in the morning here. Uh, and, and it's... Uh, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, and so having uh, some sheets that can help keep you cool is the sort of thing that I can tell you has really come in handy. Also, uh, you know, they're self-cleaning. So uh, that silver infusion can prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. That leaves them staying cleaner longer. So, you know, if you're a sweaty sheets kind of person, um, you know, that's going to help them. Uh, last longer, stink less. Uh, you don't have to wash them quite as often. Uh, they'll stay fresher three times longer than other sheets. And they're comfortable. They're quality. That's right. They're luxurious, you might even say, without the high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. So stop sleeping on bacteria. Get your pores all clogged and, I don't know, you're breaking out acne. You sleep clean with Miracle. And here's how you do it. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff. 
to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40% off. If you use the promo code Jeff at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself. And thanks to Miracle Made for sponsoring the episode. And we're back to talk about the news. Bloomberg is reporting, uh, following up on a uh, Reuters report, that Embracer Group, who, uh, if you have forgotten, has undergone uh, quite a lot of uh, turmoil, financial turmoil, as of late, uh, they had a big $2 billion deal on the table that was supposedly with the Saudi Arabia money, and that all fell through. And so this company that has been um, embracing a lot of studios over the past few years is finding themselves heading in the other direction uh, and uh, in a way that is kind of scrambling. Uh, this report initially comes out of Reuters, uh, basically saying that they are weighing out their options for Gearbox, the makers of Borderlands, Brothers in Arms, and that's Samba de Amigo for the Wii. Um, you will recall that just last week we were talking about that they closed down Volition, uh, the makers of Saints Row, Agents of Mayhem, descent uh and so now the yes the story is going around that uh that they are potentially looking to do uh, away with their ownership of gearbox uh there is an email that went around bloomberg has gotten a look at and said the base case is that gearbox remains a part of embracer this is an email that was sent by dan hewitt the chief communications officer of gearbox around internally to gearbox staff so not an external email, but something that Bloomberg got their hands on. However, there are many options under consideration, including Gearbox's transfer, taking Gearbox independent, and others. Ultimately, we'll move ahead with, with whichever path is best for both Gearbox and Embracer. Um, nothing has been decided yet, but there will be a lot of speculation in the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um... And so that's uh, f- fucking crazy. Uh, the Reuters story says that Gearbox marketing materials are already available for potential buyers, which consist mainly of international gaming groups, said two of the people that Reuters spoke with. Um, and also says that uh, the, the other tidbit here is, that I guess, that Embracer is working with Goldman Sachs to explore the sale. Um, this is uh, surprising to me. I, you know, it feels like it was just maybe a month ago that we were on the discord kind of like loosely speculating about what Embracer was going to do and who would get shut down and, and, and who would get sold off. And I think at the time I was like, well, they wouldn't sell gearbox because like they're making this borderlands movie. Like there's IP stuff that gearbox owns that Embracer probably, would be able to exploit in ways that would make them money. And so 
I don't think they would do anything with Gearbox. It's probably the most successful thing that they currently possess, unless there's some mobile team somewhere that is killing it. I, you know, I'm who knows. They own so many things. Um, Borderlands Three, as I understand it, did quite well. It didn't necessarily do as well as they thought it was. I remember there being stories at the time that Gearbox people were unhappy with their bonuses when they got bonused out for Borderlands Three. That they were maybe a little like, "Hey, what the fuck?" Um. And also, what does this mean for Randy Pitchford, who ascended within the Embracer organization to kind of like this larger Gearbox Entertainment role that was in, involving the money and, uh, or, or involving the money, yeah, well, yeah, uh, but it was involving movies and, and you know, whatever else they intend to do with the Duke Nukem IP as a film once Borderlands comes out, but potentially now that, I don't know, Borderlands went in for reshoots, and I think it has a new date in 2024 now, I think they, they did... They did give it a date for the movie. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, there was, I know that at one point, at one point they were excited about that movie. I don't think that's, I don't, I don't know that that's the case anymore. Um, so I, I don't know to me, the idea of a, of a borderlands film always seemed like one of those things where you're like, I see why someone would do that. None of this seems like a good idea. I don't know that this necessarily will make for a good film, but I see why someone would think let's make a borderlands movie. Um, but I, that just seems like something that will come and go and, you know, someone will call it. Yeah. Uh, someone will call it a disaster. Someone will call it, you know, it'll be, it'll be a flop or whatever. But I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll be surprising and, you know, people will flock to see it. Who can say? Uh, it's probably probably not going to happen. But anything's possible, right? Uh, and I guess that's the the moral of the story here with this whole thing is anything's possible with Embracer. If, if, if they're out there exploring, hey, what if we sold off Gearbox? Then everything is for sale. Everything, everything is on the table. They are looking at, you know, hey, you want to buy some retro games? out of the fucking Embracer library that they've been building for whatever reason. Maybe that, maybe that shit will end up on eBay before too long here. I don't know. But yeah, uh, Randy Pitchford, not a part of this story, you know, specifically because obviously, um, you know, this is a very uh, early thing. Like, but so the, the idea of like, would Randy Pitchford stay with Embracer? Or would he go back to Gearbox and, or, you know, continue to run Gearbox if it went independent, if it was bought by Tencent, I don't know. Like who, who is, you know, the, the Reuters story said something about international gaming groups, which to me sounds like Tencent or NetEase, Nexon. I don't know who's got enough money for that. They bought it, uh, two and a half years ago. Embracer bought Gearbox two and a half years ago for 1.3 billion. Uh, though, if I remember correctly, that wasn't like they just coughed up 1.3 billion in cash and said, Randy, get some more shirts. Uh, Instead, it was like a chunk of like a big chunk of cash up front and then some stock and some deferred this and that and, and whatever else. So um, I don't know. I look at, I you know, like say what you will about Borderlands. And I have said quite a lot about the Borderlands franchise over the years. Um, it still seems like the most valuable thing that they own. Uh, and so the idea of Embracer going, fuck it, man, spin it out, or at least see if someone will give us something for it, right? What do we, um, seems pretty wild. Uh, let's go to the, uh, let's visit the old Embracer 
group website here and see um, who do they own? What is it? Man, how do I? Okay. There's THQ Nordic. Well, this is all. Yeah. So for PC and console, there's THQ Nordic play on, which is where the, the volition IPs are now under coffee stain, which that's the, um, goat simulator people. Uh, there's Amplifier Game Invest, which I guess is a what? Is, what is Amplifier Game? They are it's it's a, okay. So that's something they use to invest in new IP and development and stuff like that. So uh, they have some internal studios under Amp. I okay. We're not going to waste a bunch of time trying to like figure out Embracer's twisted structure yet again. It's a huge waste of time. Uh, there's Saber Interactive, which is, you know, that's like Evil Dead, the game, SnowRunner, uh, 4A Games is one of their studios, Zen Studios, the pinball people, Demiurge got picked up by them at some point, Slipgate Ironworks is them, uh, New World Interactive, yes, yeah, so there's a bunch of studios there, and that's Aspire and 3D Realms, those brands, those publishing brands are also a part of that as well. Uh, and then there's Crystal D and Eidos Montreal, which are, I, I would think if you were going to sell something because Crystal Dynamics is already helping out on, uh, well, what, what are they, they're, is it, are they working on perfect dark? Well, like the Tomb Raider thing has Amazon money involved in it. And so I would think you take this group and you sell it to Amazon and say, Hey, Amazon, what if you owned Tomb Raider? Which I, I don't get me wrong, no, no part of that to me sounds like a good outcome for the Tomb Raider IP, because I I do not believe in Amazon, um, Amazon's ability to execute on that well on its own. I don't believe in Amazon's ability to own Crystal Dynamics well. But we're not talking about doing it well. We're talking about the Embracer Group trying to sell some stuff off. Um, and Amazon having enough money to buy it, and also the ambition in the space to potentially buy it as well. It's all a bunch of weird stuff. Um, and then Gearbox, yeah. Gearbox is, is Gearbox. It's Cryptic Studios, which got put under Gearbox. And yeah. Uh, Embracer group always seemed weird and now like as we watch it slowly spiral apart it will seem even weirder and if they end up trying to you know maybe, maybe this is a, there will probably be some things that they sell off in a fire sale like way but something like Gearbox that is it's probably their crown jewel it's probably the biggest thing Embracer owns unless you want to argue I mean you know Tomb Raider has a much longer shadow um but I feel like Gearbox, the Borderlands franchise, is much more current. It's much more, you know, that, that stuff's been uh, bigger lately. Um, and then, yeah, there's that, the, right, the Lord of the Rings rights. Uh, they have they have uh, those as well. So that that's another big deal that they could sell off. 
Uh, though maybe people will realize it's not actually worth that much after some of the other stuff that people have done with it. Um, yeah, the the types of companies that okay, if, if Gearbox went for one point three billion, like the types of of companies that would be in a position to buy that from Embracer, probably at a loss. I doubt that they get one point three for it because anyone in negotiations would be like, well, we kind of have you over a barrel here a little bit because you're Embracer Group. So how about you give us to us for an even billion? Or, I don't know, I don't know what it's worth. Um, maybe it's worth less if the Borderlands movie is is tracking poorly and maybe it's worth less in a world where Borderlands 3 and... Well, Tiny Tina supposedly did quite well. But, uh, so I don't know, maybe... You know, maybe that stuff is totally fine, but I just I just don't know who would pick up who would pick up Gearbox unless it ends up being you know like a ten cent or or someone in that kind of vein, uh, which doesn't sound like an awesome outcome. I don't, none of these outcomes sound great. I mean, Gearbox getting bought by uh, Embracer didn't all immediately seem like a great thing, but it also seemed like, Oh, well, gearbox is kind of in the driver's seat a little bit. Like Randy Pitchford is kind of moving up and doing this and doing that. Uh, and, and it seemed like there was some kind of plan, but maybe now they're like, Oh, what if we took those plans and just, uh, turned it into money instead? Cause Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Nintendo. You heard of these guys? They're in the news. Um, they have filed a patent, according to VideoGamesChronicle.com, uh, for a new type of joystick that maybe would avoid stick drift in the future. If you remember correctly, the Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons are garbage, and the joysticks on them tend to drift quite a bit. This is something that they've had to probably waste a bunch of money on repairs and warranty and all this and that to the point where you just say, well, maybe you should just make a better one out of the gate next time. And potentially this is what they're going to do or potentially they'll do nothing because people file patents for stuff all the time and it turns into nothing. This is not quite the hall effect stick sort of thing that they have been, uh, that, uh, that people have been talking up for the past couple of years here. Instead, it's some kind of goo. They're putting some kind of goop in the controllers, some kind of magnetic fluid, a uh, magnetoheological fluid, or MRF. And if this goo, if this ooze is in the presence of a magnetic field, and as the intensity of that field goes up and down, that fluid can change viscosity. So it can become more viscous if magnetic force is applied to it, uh, in, in such that it provides resistance and stuff in the way that you need a stick to do in order to work. Um, and that they can use that to kind of better, more accurately measure the sticks because they are applying this uh, you know, they, they can use electricity to kind of turn the magnets on and off and do what they need to do there. Uh, so kind of creating ele electromagnetic fields on these fluids. Uh, yes, some, some cars, uh, suspensions do this. Uh, and yes, it's, there's, there's been, th this, this fluid has been applied in, in other ways. Uh, but they have applied for a patent, uh, to do it in joysticks, which 
seems potentially interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I'm anything that is going to make this whole stick drift conversation go away, especially in a world where like these controllers are not cheap. If this thing was like, if, if, if new video game controllers were 20 bucks and they occasionally got stick drift after, you know, 200 hours or, or whatever, eh, you wouldn't have as much of an outcry. You'd be like fucking, well, I don't know. Yeah. These things you beat on them a while to get bad. If you beat on the stick, it's eventually not going to work as well. Uh, but you know, sometimes like, you know, the, 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 the PlayStation edge controller is like $200 and it doesn't have hall of instead. Instead, what they did there is they just made it easy to replace the sticks in case they break. They didn't even say, Oh, we made the sticks way, way, way better in a way that this is not going to be a problem ever again. Like, no, we just made it. If there's a problem, just open best bust it open and replace it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, which is, you know, frustrating at those prices, but as you know, game controllers went from like 50 to 60 and then 60 to 70 and, and, uh, and all of that, um, it's crazy that this is still a problem. Um, but this would be something that would, you know, you would you would not get stick drift with this uh, magneto fluid. So uh, hopefully they use something. If they don't use this, hopefully they use something that is that this is going to make it so it's not a problem anymore. Um, if it's not Hall effect sticks, then maybe it should be this or you know some other solution that's going to uh, prevent this from being the bane of everyone's existence for another generation. Like these are solvable problems. Uh, they just have to be willing to spend a little bit of money uh, to to make it happen. And the controllers are so expensive that they should be better than they are. So, annoying. But still, the idea of uh, secret magnetic fluid uh, that gains viscosity when magnets are applied. You start to wonder, like, if you hold a magnet up to your controller, could you... Could you, if you, if you snuck a magnet onto someone, like if you, if someone was at a tournament and you held a magnet under their hands, could you mess up their controller in a way that would make the character move incorrectly? Or, you know, could you, could you fuck up someone's joystick with a scary mag, magneto ray? I don't know. They probably, you know, they probably have it shielded. They probably have it, you know, it's probably the sort of thing that they keep from being a problem, but. Hell, who knows? Um, in other Nintendo news, we talked about this ah, a couple weeks ago. Rumors were going around that at Gamescom, uh, Nintendo was giving demos of its next hardware. Uh, those rumors, I guess, have been corroborated both by Eurogamer and Video Games Chronicle. Um... And they have a bit of like some descriptions of the demos that were shown, which is, uh, which is interesting. Um, they're showing breath of the wild running at a higher frame rate and resolution on basically, you know, they have like a target hardware. They have, uh, you know, some box that's like, Hey, this is, you know, it's probably not the form factor. It's probably not whatever, but they're like, Hey, this is this target specs of what we're making. And here is this game running on it, uh, and you know, and running way better than it did on our previous hardware. That's kind of cool. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to release Breath of the Wild again, or 
It doesn't necessarily mean that backwards compatibility is is guaranteed, but um, one would like to think that like, oh, you know, backwards compatibility makes a lot of sense um, because it seems like from some of the other stuff that they are using NVIDIA technology here so that there's maybe some bits and pieces that would carry over, blah, blah, blah. Um, the other source that uh, Video Games Chronicles spoke with Claims that the other thing running was, uh, remember that Unreal 5, uh, that Unreal Engine 5 Matrix demo of the big city and running around and doing all that stuff, the Matrix the, the Matrix Awakens demo that uh, they put out on PlayStation 5 and, and Xbox, that it runs that. Um, which is cool. Uh, you know, UE5, they're going to need to have Unreal Engine 5 running on whatever they're doing because as people move to it, you know, they're they're going to need to to have that. So uh, it would seem that they do. Um, uh, to, to go on here, Video Games Chronicle says, the demo is said to have been running using NVIDIA's DLSS upscaling technology with advanced ray tracing enabled and visuals comparable to Sony's and Microsoft's current generation consoles. However, it should be noted this does not mean the Switch successor will sport raw power anywhere near that of the PS5 or Xbox Series X, which aren't portable devices. So, you know, DLSS and upscaling and and all that sort of stuff can can really can get them a good long way to running more modern stuff on, uh, you know, significantly less powerful hardware. And so if the switch two is using NVIDIA parts, which would make sense considering the switch one and those internals and, and all of that. Um, well, we'll see. One would assume that if this is running on target hardware that they're like, Hey, you know, the, if, if they're planning on launching next year, they pretty much have the stats pretty locked in at this point. Um, the the specs for it in terms of like, hey, this is what we're thinking in terms of processor speed and GPU. And, you know, some things can still shift one way or the other. But, you know, like the way a lot of the talk around the next Switch hardware had sounded is that they're trying to push it until late next year simply so they can have enough of them on shelves to avoid shortages, which would almost imply that they're like, they're done and they're ready to start, they're getting ready to start making them. Um, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, you know, th- this kind of corroborates those rumors. Uh, and it's interesting, to, again, the the demos that they had running for developers taking these appointments, I think is really fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't know what, yeah, what Tigra or in, I don't, I don't know which, which, if there's like a good Tigra part or, or whatever, uh, Tigra, Tigra on real thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, what the, what that product line looks like these days or what the actual, um, what the actual code names for any of them really are. So, um, we'll have to wait and see on on some of that stuff but this seems um this seems promising uh you know the idea that like hey obviously you can run breath of the wild better and if that's something they're showing up front i would like to think that that at least you know because they're not going to necessarily i mean maybe they would one would think they would not 
like rebuild Breath of the Wild for an entirely new entirely new platform, right? So if they've got Breath of the Wild up and running on it, higher frame rate, better resolution, um, you would think that there are some hardware similarities here between this device and the existing Switch such that that work is not that difficult to do. Um, but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like Nintendo's engine, how portable, you know, like is it something they could easily move over to other stuff? I, Who knows? Maybe that's work they did because they are there. They're going to have to make games from the ground up for it anyway. So they might as well get started uh, porting over something they do know. Hard to say. Um, and that UE5 tech demo, that's cool. I mean, we don't really have any indication as to how well it ran, but I doubt they're going to show it uh, running poorly. <laughs> um but yeah, seeing, uh, you know, because some of the early talk had been like, oh, the the, the device is going to come in somewhere around PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. You know, like, isn't that supposed to be what the original Switch is supposed to be? So now we're seeing like, oh, this looked comparable to PS5 and Xbox Series X. Like, okay. That's a lot more interesting um, for a, what is almost certainly a portable device. I assume in, in terms of form factor, uh, that they're going to go with what the, exactly what they're, they've got now. Um, you know, whether they've got some gimmick or some kind of change or something, who knows, but, but I think generally speaking, we'll see something very similar to, um, you know, what they've, what they've done. Um, we'll see. We'll see. That's a, that's an intriguing. I don't know. And I guess it kind of further builds to this idea that, um, you know, this is probably something we'll see uh, late next year or something. If they're, if they're doing these sorts of demos um, in a, in a somewhat wider sense, then, you know, we're probably getting closer and closer to more and more studios having access to dev hardware and and making games, porting games, whatever it is they they intend to do. Um It's been weird rumors going around that like, oh, they're getting ready to they're getting ready to announce an F-Zero game or something. I don't know. This, N- Nintendo news is always fucking weird cuz people always crawl out of the woodwork with insane bullshit and separating the insane bullshit from the sane bullshit uh can be tricky, but um hmm. I don't know. I could see it in some weird way. Donald Mustard is retiring uh, from Epic Games. Uh, he was uh, his his final title there was Chief Creative Officer, and so he was kind of the man standing at the top of Fortnite in a lot of ways. Um, which is you know like the, he came in as part of Chair Entertainment, which he was running, and then Epic bought that. Um. And there were other, you know, the Infinity Blade games were theirs. They were working on a game that never ended up never shipping, but they they uh, they did Shadow Complex, of course. Uh, and then Chair, yeah, Epic bought Chair, and then Donald Mustard kind of rose through the ranks to suddenly be running uh, one of the biggest games in the world. And uh, he's retiring uh, after 25 years. 
Yeah, Advent Rising. Prior to Chair, he worked on Advent Rising. And then, yeah, Chair did Undertow. That's right. I forgot Undertow was one of theirs. Um, he says, after an incredible adventure, I'll be retiring from my role of Chief Creative Officer at Epic this month. I have enjoyed nearly 25 years in the game industry uh, collaborating with some of the most talented people ever. And I'm so proud of what we made together from the ambitious advent rising to the start of chair, where we created undertow shadow complex and the infinity blade trilogy to the honor of our tiny team becoming part of Epic. Each new chapter allowed me to accomplish something new and original. I'm especially proud of the opportunity I've had to help create and shape Fortnite. And he goes on a little bit. Um, I'm excited to spend time with my wife and family and am forever grateful to Tim Sweeney and the Epic games family. Um, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I've met Donald Mustard a few times over the years, and he always seemed like a, a smart and passionate dude when it came to video games. And uh, and yeah, uh, good on him for for getting out, I suppose. Um, he does have a successor. Who? Oh, jeez. They did announce uh, who was going to be taking the role. Um, I, I don't have the name in front of me, but, uh, congratulations to Donald Mustard for making, making it out. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. That's the, okay. Does Donald Mustard stay out or does Donald Mustard just want to potentially take a break from Fortnite, which I imagine is a pretty relentless pace, uh, and maybe do something else. We'll see. Shinodu Yoshida is guilty. This is a uh, a chilling story out of Japan, uh, out of uh, Asahi 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 News, uh, coming to us through via Video Games Chronicle. Um, a 53 year old YouTube creator, I suppose. Um, was charged and found guilty of Japan's Copyright Act for posting videos of Steinsgate to YouTube. Um, one of the videos showed the ending of the game. And that was one apparently one of the prosecution's main arguments, according to the reporting, um, that they're like, you, sh- you posted the end of the game. You have to go to jail for what you've done. Um... And that, uh, you know, visual novels being less interactive that, you know, it's another, it's another wonderful example of Japan's copyright law and how fucking insane it is. Um, that, uh, not that ours isn't, uh, don't get me. I'm not here going because America's copyright law is so good. But, uh, in Japan, that stuff is really wild. The argument was made that like the game could, you know, sell less because, uh, well, the argument here made by Spike Chunsoft was that his actions were a malicious act that tramples on the effort of content creation by discouraging purchase of the products. Um, they got a suspended sentence, so he's not going to actually go to jail. Um, but he was given a two-year prison sentence for posting the end of, Steins, of a Steinsgate visual novel. Uh, I believe it's, is it My Darling's Embrace? Is that the specific... Yeah. Um. Okay, hang on here. 
Steins Gate, My Darling's Embrace is apparently came out in 2011. And he posted these videos in 2019. Or uh, from 2019 to 2022. So a decade later. He was fined 1 million yen, which is not actually that much money in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and he, yeah, two years in prison, but it was a suspended sentence. So as long as he doesn't do anything else crazy for five years, he will not actually do any jail time. Um, according to Asai, this is the first time someone has been convicted of violating the Copyright Act by distributing video game footage. Um... That's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, that's fucking, I don't know. There's no, I have no other better way to say it. Uh, yeah, that's fucking crazy. The laws in Japan, um, when it comes to music and streaming or any, all this stuff, they are so, so bad. Uh, they just are so, it's, it's better than they were, but it is so backwards. Still to this day, really, really something else. Um, the ESA and Read Pop have parted ways. Read Pop uh, is the company that puts on shows like PAX, and the ESA is the company that was has been failing to put on E3 for a number of years now. Um, Read Pop had come in to potentially produce E3 this year if it was going to happen. Uh, it didn't happen, and so Read Pop is no longer working with the ESA. Much like when the ESA was working with IM Eight Bit back in 2020, and then IM Eight Bit was suddenly like. Gonna, uh, we're gonna go anyway. Mutual announcement out of both uh, both companies here. The ESA. This is according to GamesIndustry.biz. The ESA has also informed the LA Convention Center that there will not be a show at the Convention Center in 2024, which we we knew that was something that was uh, on some LA city schedule a while ago. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there will not be anything called E3 in 2024. It just means there will not be a show at the LA convention center in 2024, but also maybe there won't be anything in 2024 could be, uh, gamesindustry.biz, uh, says that they gamesindustry.biz understands that the trade body is also working on a complete reinvention of the E3 show for 2025. So, um, we will see. And then there's uh, some, you know, some of the standard quotes. Oh, well, we have enjoyed our time working with the ESA and appreciate their commitment to the games industry as a whole. Says Reed Pops Games Events boss, Kyle Marsden Kish. Well, while we will not be involved with the future of E3, we look forward to seeing its evolution and where the ESA takes it. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, 2025 seems like it seems like they need time to figure out what the hell they want to do. Because Reed Pop and ESA spent a good long time trying to figure out a show for 2023 and couldn't, um, and canceled it. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, meanwhile, Jeff Keighley has said that the Summer Games Fest will continue next year. That has increasingly become a valuable use of my time as someone who covers games. I think that's been a, I think that's been a good show. And I think that that show is going to continue growing. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll kind of see where it all where it all goes from here. You know, um, 
I, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't know that I have necessarily like a, a what I want to happen sort of thing. I want there to be good events where I can see games and talk to the people making them. And I don't really care what the name on the door is. Um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to me like that part of it. So um, we'll, we'll see. Um, X defiant failed cert. Interesting. Yeah, that's not a, you know, that that's not necessarily news on its own. Uh, games fail console manufacturer certification all the time. But they don't often talk about it. Um, it's interesting with X Defiant. Uh, this is remember X Defiant is the Call of Duty esque first person shooter that Ubisoft is working on. Uh, that is designed to be free to play, and it is uh, you know it is still coming along. Uh, they submitted, I guess, in July. Uh, they got their results back. Yeah, they submitted end of July. Got their results back in mid August. They they did not pass, and so they are working on. Um, another, another submission build and they are potentially going to either get out in, that's why they don't have a release date, I guess. It, it's like a candid update from Mark Rubin, um, because companies don't normally get into this whole idea of like, Hey, we failed cert. Um, and I think, you, you know, people that have been following this for a long time understand that uh, plenty of games fail cert. Um, it's not a. You know, like some people are going to take this and go like, oh, the game must be bad because they failed certification. It's like, no, they just they maybe they didn't have a fucking X button icon where it needed to be or, you know, like like five other weird submission related things that they didn't do right or something. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's I guess I just I'm pointing this out to say, like, hey, this is not a big deal. Uh, it's interesting that uh, he's out there talking about this sort of stuff and that they are getting another build ready. I mean, the the amount of time between submissions says to me it, it's a little bit more than just like, hey, your X button icon looked wrong or or, or whatever. Um, but they have spent the last three to four weeks fixing those issues and are getting ready to submit again. Um, and that they will be sub- resubmitting in less than two weeks, according to this. If that passes, we could be looking at a mid-, mid to end of September release. There is, however, a likely scenario where we get a conditional pass. Meaning we have to do a day one patch with some final fixes to ensure compliance. If we do need to do a day one patch, that then, then that pushes our date to early to mid-October. Um... And so that's why they don't have a firm date is because there's still little bits and pieces of X defiant that they are getting in line and, and they're close to getting it out the door, which I had forgotten that this was shipping this year. They ran those betas over the summer. Um, the closer they push up into the call of duty release window, it's probably worse for them. I mean, a September release date is probably okay for them, but the closer they get to call of duty's release date, the less time they have to carve out their own player base um, before Modern Warfare 3 hits. Uh, so, yeah, I don't... I, it's, it's, not a, it's not a great thing that they, that they failed because, you know, if they, were, if they were really close to coming out, they would probably have some more time on it. When they, they put it, you know, the, the betas they ran... Um, just, you know, for people who didn't watch, I I did stream a little bit of it, but if you, if you didn't catch that, the, the game isn't bad. It just, I, I don't know that I'd say it feels good. I don't know that I would say 
I, I don't think I like the abilities because it's, it's kind of um, you're picking a uh, faction based on other Ubisoft franchises. So there's like a Far Cry faction of rebels and there's hackers from the world of um, uh, Splinter Cell and there's uh, firefighter dudes from the division or whatever. And so like this guy has a heel. This guy has a, you know, this guy can go invisible. This guy can do this. Um, and I don't know that any of those abilities feel especially great uh, from, from the time I spent with it. You know, it, it didn't feel like enough of a differentiator where I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is why I would play this instead of call of duty. Um, it feels like the big differentiator is like, well, this is free, but so is Warzone in the world of call of duty. So unless you're highly specifically looking for a free to play competitive multiplayer game in the style of that, that call of duty gameplay, I don't know that that's necessarily, eh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't, I I'll say, I, I don't think the game felt great. Um, it felt like a weird budget call of duty knockoff. Uh, in in a style that like doesn't get made anymore like uh you know in in the playstation 3 days it felt like we were getting more games that were like here's a game that you guys like call of duty we got one of those uh and it feels like people stopped making those because they realized that they were just gonna come out and die um and so it's interesting that we're getting one of those because it's kind of been a little while but uh we'll see how well x defiant does I, i don't know that i I don't know that I, I feel that it, I don't think that game's going to do super well, I guess, regardless of like, I think it's totally fine. It, it's, it's, it's the maps feel okay. Like there's things about it that are they're like, it's, it's okay. Like it checks the boxes, but it, I don't, I just don't, it does not seem like the sort of thing that's going to attract some big audience to it, I guess. Um, we'll see. Uh, speaking of not attracting an audience or potentially pushing an audience away, Unity is back in the news, making developers happy. That's what Unity is there for. It, I mean, Unity is right in the name. They're bringing people together to charge them uh, flat fees for uh, more developers. This is uh, comes to us from GameDeveloper.com. Um, they're adding a new fee in January that they are calling the unity runtime fee that is based on the number of users installing games. Uh, this kicks in this, this fee kicks in after you've already made a certain amount of money or had a certain number of installs. Um, and so if you've got a really big game that you're unity, okay. Unity operates on a number of different licenses in terms of you can get unity personal. And then I think you have to show the unity logo at the top of the game. And, and it's, it's a lot cheaper than the pro license. They had a plus license somewhere in the middle there, but there was always a, a, a thing of like, oh, okay, well, once you cross a certain threshold, you'll pay us this amount of money. Uh, and, and if you cross this, it's this amount of money and this and blah, blah, blah. Um, but now they're moving to something that is going to charge per install. Okay. So, If you're on a Unity Personal or Unity Plus license, the fee will kick in after a project crosses both $200,000 in revenue over 12 months and 200,000 total installs. If you're on Unity Pro or Unity Enterprise, the higher tiers, uh, you have a higher threshold before you owe those fees. It'll it'll be, you'll have to make a million dollars and pass a million installs. 
Um, if you're on personal and plus, you will pay a flat fee of 20 cents per install. I don't know how that works. That doesn't, cause like, does that mean if I install and uninstall the game over and over again, that I'm charging a developer 20 cents every single time? Is this them trying to just, well, I, well, I don't know. This is them trying to make more money, obviously. Um, uh, they posted a blog in, instead of a rev share program. They believe an install based fee allows creators to keep the ongoing financial gains from player engagement. Uh, Mark Witten told game developer that the company is seeking to better balance the value exchange between unity and developers. Um, and basically he said, he also said, we want to make more money so that we can continue to invest in the engine. To which I would say, if they're having trouble finding the money to invest in the engine, that's the thing that they do. They make that engine. So if they're having trouble finding the funding to keep investing in the thing that they make, that's probably bad for them. That probably doesn't speak well of the health of their overall business. Um, And so, I, you know, I don't know. You know, if you have a runaway smash hit of a game, but it's free to play, and you're so you're getting charged by install and not by revenue, if you've got a bunch of players installing your game for free and maybe you've crossed that threshold of making $200 or a million dollars because you do have some players playing, and then they're like, oh, by the way, you owe us 20 cents for every install as opposed to a cut of the revenue that the game is making, that seems like if you're, if you're selling a game for, for a low amount of money, like let's say I, I've seen people use vampire survivors as an example, which I, is that I think is that a unity game? I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, so if you are not charging a lot for your game or your game is potentially free, um, that this sounds fucked. Yeah, vampire. Okay, yes. Luke in, in chat says Vampire Survivors is is Unity, but um, nothing about this seems. So again, like if, if you've got a three dollar game, and suddenly they come in and say like, "Oh, we want an extra twenty cents off the you know off the rip here for every time someone installs your game." Um, as opposed to a percentage of like, oh, you're charging three dollars for your game. We want five percent, one percent, whatever. You know, whatever. Um, that seems like it maybe unfairly impacts smaller developers with successful games, because smaller developers with success looks a lot different than big developers with success. Um, because they're often charging a lot less for the games, and so you know, there, there's a lot of really um. Yeah, the implications of this seem bad. And and Unity has has not been uh people have not been happy with Unity for a good long time here and I you know, I I've seen a lot of sentiment out there in the wake of this and, and someone in the chat is saying like, "Oh, hey, the president and CEO sold a bunch of their stock in the days before this change became public." Nice work. Good going, guys. Way to America. Congratulations on your capitalism. Um, but basically like indie developers that are like starting a project right now and they have to pick an engine, um, 
even if this setup, if you look at this and go like, well, we can afford that. This, this doesn't, this seems, um, this doesn't seem like a terrible change. We can still afford this. But like, if you're still gonna, Bruno Diaz said, was posting about this on, I want to say blue sky. Um, but I saw, I saw a few other people kind of saying the same thing was like, why would you ever fucking use unity? When you look at this change that is impacting existing games, they won't start until January, but it will impact your existing game. So it's like, hey, we're changing the terms that you signed up for a while ago. Um, the previous changes they made that have been unpopular, uh, what's going to stop them from making changes later down the line that's going to fuck over your game? If you sign up to use Unity right now for your for your indie game, like... You don't know what they're going to do. You'll be working on your game and three years down the line, they'll be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I know you've done all the work and this game is just about the ship. And hey, we've changed this and now you have to pay us this. Um, Just from a trust perspective, the idea that the terms can change on a developer like that, that might be midstream, that might be um, in the middle of like, they've, they've specced out like, okay, we can do this for this amount of money and this is, we think we can do this. To suddenly have like, hey, these games, the terms may change down the line because they're going to grandfather in some time on this. But again, like even existing games that are already being sold will be uh, subject to these new fees. I think that's fucking wild. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know what contract they sign. If, if this is this legal, because it's a lot of developers that would not be able to. They're you know, their games are done and being sold. They're not going to easily be able to fucking jack up the assets and slide a new engine under there. It's like I don't know, man. Fucking to turn on the mono faucet, get this Godot faucet to, to, to turn off the Unity and turn on the Godot. You know, and then it, it's just you know, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. So you'll have a lot of games that are already in development using Unity or teams that are already used to using Unity. Um, and you'll have a lot of developers that are probably going to go like, okay, what? Okay, let's never use Unity again. What do we use instead? Is it Unreal Engine? Is it good? You know, like, like what are we moving to? Golang. We're going to build it all in Pascal. Not a game engine, but um, but hey, it's weird. Um, feels feels bad. Um, but yeah, some games that are that are already uh, yeah, some games will be grandfathered uh, in on this stuff, and and will will not have to do it. But some newer releases will will end up getting uh, bit by this. Uh, all Unity plans will also be updated with access to a new cloud-based asset storage system, Unity DevOps tools, and Unity's generative AI technology at no extra cost starting in November. So, so at least you get that. Oh, and, and they they also, yeah, the, the GameDeveloper.com story also kind of points out Vampire Survivors as a thing here. Uh, one Unity developer briefed on the runtime fee who requested anonymity in order to speak freely pointed out that the fee might be extra painful for developers who sell their game for less than $10 like the makers of Vampire Survivors. 
Sales will be more costly for developers since they are not asking for a percentage, but a flat fee, they pointed out. Said developer argued that this fee screws over indies and smaller devs the most. That's always the, that's what you want the, the, the rep on your engine. That's what you want the, like, well, what's up with Unity? Like, oh, I don't know. They're, they're this great small, a lot of small games got made with it. And then they decided that they wanted to implement a bunch of policies that deliberately fuck over a lot of those smaller developers. So they stopped using it. Everyone feels great. What a good time. Yeah. I don't, you know, you have to just look at this and go, well, I guess, um, they're probably in a bind. This seems like the sort of move you wouldn't do unless you had to, unless you were desperately looking for a way where you could make more money. I doubt this is just raw anger at just like some of these indie games, vampire survivors, like you know, vampire, this is a runaway example, right? And I'm sure the amount of money that vampire survivors brought in is wild. And it was at a low price and blah, blah, blah. You know, are they looking at that and going like, we need to get a bigger cut. When these when these games blow up, we need to find a way to get a bigger cut because these developers are getting one over on us. I, I don't. It, I do. I don't know the ins and outs of the engine business. I am not necessarily innately familiar with them, but um, this seems like a bad move. It seems like there were developers that were uh, had already been considering getting away from Unity because of the last round of changes they made. Uh, and so this feels like a little extra fucking kick out the door. Like, hey, if you're not already in the middle of a project and you literally cannot change, maybe you should go use something else. I don't know. That That's the impression I get uh, from some of the sentiment I've seen from developers around this morning. As people going like, well, shit, man, we can't change. Or we can't change on this one, but you better believe we're not using it for the next one. Uh, and and so on and and, and so forth. That's uh, it's It's a really... It's, it's, it seems like a really crazy change to me. Um, and Steam, our last story. Steam is 20 years old today. Two decades of Steam. 20 years of Steam all up in your face. Remember, do you remember 20 years ago when Steam originally launched? Do you remember the sentiment around Steam? People hated it. Oh my God, they hated Steam. Um, the idea when Half-Life 2 came out that uh, you had to install Steam to get it and that was going to become a store, but it was somehow only a store for Half-Life 2 <laughs> and like two other things. You're like, what the fuck is what? Why? Um. But it's easy to forget that prior to Steam, downloading patches for games was a manual process in in most cases. You had to go to some website. You know, the same way these mod websites exist today, there were sites that were just like, we got, we got all the latest patches. Like, that was a big part of GameSpot's traffic for a while was... We've got the latest command and conquer patches. We've got we've got all the the total annihilation units. You can come here and download them. Um, GameSpy, you know, uh, like all of those sites were just it was just downloads. Um, because games couldn't patch themselves because developers didn't want to spend the money to host their own patching servers and 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 everything else. Um, 
and then steam came along and found a way to make that work for everybody in such a way that that's like it's preposterous the the idea of thinking about manually downloading a patch is hilarious um i did not install steam right away i I, my my account did not turn 20 today because i did not play counter-strike so it was like originally it was just for counter-strike and uh you know didn't didn't play counter-strike so i didn't need steam uh until probably sometime after half-life 2 came out i guess um and uh you know they were off to the races pretty quick after that it it was it was always an awkward thing um it was always a really weird at at the time it it was just like it was hard to understand why it was happening and it was like why are you doing this it was like why this seemed like a, a hassle this seemed like a a giant pain in the ass like why are why are you building a client for this this is crazy um and it was, but they, jeez, they changed everything about the way games are delivered. They changed, you know, like the way game content is delivered, game patches, the way, the way games are sold. They ushered in the digital future of games as much as anybody did. I mean, they did it on PC well before it happened on consoles. Um, we still aren't quite there on consoles. They built player marketplaces. They built a way for you to return games, digital games, which was something that no one for a while thought would ever be possible. Um, They created a unified interface and community for people that are buying and playing and talking about games. Though I would say their community efforts have been significantly less successful than their store efforts. I think that the community aspect of it, whether it's user reviews or, you know, the, just the community tab on game pages, like a lot of that stuff is just like shitty. (laughs) Um, yeah. Cloud saves, you know, the, like the steam cloud and having game saves that persist across installs or even across multiple machines. The idea that the steam deck came along and, you know, was able to leverage those cloud saves and, and, and all, all these years later, um, the number of things that they have done to help unify PC gaming is, uh, it, it's incredible. It, it really is. It really is incredible. Uh, the, the, what they did to change the game business to the point where like, that's the thing, you know, like there's still a lot of people that think of valve as a game developer. <laughs> uh, but they their real mark was not like Half-Life 2 had cool physics, man. Portal was hilarious. Look at those TF2 videos. Like that stuff's big, don't get me wrong, but like the things they did for the entirety of the game business ended up being so so much bigger. Uh someone pointed out that uh, you know, all these years later, the thing that they built for Counter-Strike patches, Counter-Strike is still somehow the most played game on Steam. <laughs> so I guess some things never change. Uh, I mean, they created a, you know, they created something that became so popular and so standardized that you now have like a percentage of the audience that when another storefront comes along and tries to enter the space... People are angry. 
people aren't just indifferent about the Epic Game Store. Like, people aren't just like, oh, well, that's annoying or, or whatever. Like, there are people that are just like, fuck them. Like, oh, my God. Epic can suck a fucking goddamn those motherfuckers. Like, like, people get viscerally angry about the existence of the Epic Game Store in ways that are, like, fucking nuts. <laughs> um, and that's like, you know, I, I think there are way worse ones of those, uh, you know, the, over the years as, as everyone kind of split apart and went like, you know, when Ubisoft was like, we're going to make our own thing and EA is going to make their own, like, and when people started pulling out of Steam to try to make their own thing, um, that stuff is not, has not always been great. The Rockstar launcher, the Bethesda client, like all these fucking annoying uh, things here. Um, Epic is actually the one that tends to work. It's like a little weird in a way. Um, but people get like, yeah, I don't, I, like, I get being like, oh, it's, it's a, you know, and, and I'm that way. I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd rather all this stuff was in Steam because I'd rather, because I, you know, I'm out of four. I mean, I have, I have Steam running right now. I have this monitor. This monitor has Discord and Steam on it. And then Plex Amp, if I'm listening to music, goes in this blank space here. But uh, I devote monitor space to Steam at all times, even though like, I'm not, I don't even really use the community aspect of it, but it's just, it's always open. Um, and I, you know, I think that I, I still look at Steam and I still see a ton of ways where it could be better. Um, where you look at it and go like, oh, if they did this on the community front, this could be better. Or, you know, there's one change there. One of the changes they're getting ready to make that if they're doing it the way I think they're doing it actually sounds really interesting is they're asking developers to self-report if their games support PlayStation controllers. Um, like natively. And I guess ostensibly so they can put that on the page and say this game supports PlayStation controllers. I imagine what they will do with that info on the back end. And I don't, I guess I don't know this for sure, but like sometimes when you use a place as, as someone who's been using a PlayStation controller on PC a lot more lately, most of the time that controller gets translated into Xbox stuff. And so games show Xbox buttons, games show, and, and in games that natively support the dual sense abilities, like the, uh, controller, the, the, the triggers and, and all the cool stuff that a dual sense can do, if the if Steam is translating that controller into an Xbox, all that stuff gets disabled. And so you would have to do a little funky shit where you're like, okay, if I'm going to play Ratchet and Clank, and actually Ratchet was maybe one of the first games that didn't do this, but Returnal did it, where to get Returnal working right, I had to go into the menu and uncheck, like, hey, just treat this as a PlayStation controller. Do not translate it into an Xbox controller. And then Returnal would work with all the vibration and all the other stuff, which makes me think what they're doing is that if you go in there and say, yes, we natively support DualShock 4s and 5s, DualSense, whatever you want to call it, um, then they will disable their translation stuff and just natively feed the PlayStation controller to the game. They didn't say that in in the the thing they sent to developers, but like, I, I figure that's why you would do that, right? Is so that if a game like Call of Duty does, like not a lot of third-party games do, it's mostly Sony stuff, but there's some third-party games that do, that they would then say, okay, we're going to serve this natively. And I think on the back end, they may do that now because Call of Duty supports the, like it, it knows a dual sense is connected, even though I still have that Xbox button checked on the Steam controller settings or whatever. Ratchet, I didn't have to go in and fuck around with it for it to work the way it should. 
It was only Returnal is the only one I remember where I had to monkey around with it and do a bunch of shit to get it to do all the good controller stuff. Um, and so I'm guessing that that's what they'll do is they'll go like, oh, if you natively support this controller, then we will turn off the Xbox shit and, uh, and go from there. I, I'm figuring that's what they would do. But that's, you know, that's smart. They should do that. That's a good idea, especially as someone who just started using a PlayStation controller. Though I'm not anymore. <laughs> um, I had to switch back to my old uh, Hall Effect Stick uh, King Kong Pro here um, to play Starfield because I'm playing Starfield out of the Xbox store. And uh, I don't know if this is going to shock you or not, but games on the Xbox store don't work with PlayStation controllers. <laughs> um so I had to I had to swap back because I've been playing a lot of Starfield. I'm near the end. Uh, I got I'm real close to the end of the main quest, or at least I think I am. I I I, I got to a point where they reveal like, hey, here's what all this stuff really is. Um, and I have found myself very dissatisfied with those answers so far. Um very dissatisfied with those answers i haven't quite gotten to the end and done the thing and and whatever else but i seemingly am am pretty close to um doing the thing and um ah the writing so yeah the the uc storyline with the terror morphs and stuff has been fun uh, some of the fact, you know, hey, like a lot of Bethesda games, the faction storylines have actually been pretty good, but the main storyline is not so good. But like, this is annoying. Um, so, so I don't know. Uh, I'll finish it here pretty soon. Here, well, I say that, but then a billion other games came in, and by a billion, I guess I mean two. It was the Crew Motor Fest and another one. Uh, and I will probably be playing one of those two games quite a bit for a while. So Starfield, we'll get to it. Um, anyway, happy birthday to Steam. Steam's the best. I, for, for, I I think you, you can, there's a lot of things uh, you can sling at Steam that Steam could be doing better. And, um, I I agree with much of that stuff. I think that Steam could be a lot better, but also Steam is the best. As someone who uses a Steam Deck on a regular basis, the work that they've done for Linux gaming, the the cloud save stuff that enables any of that stuff to work meaningfully well in any way, shape, or form. Um I, just Valve across the board, man. For as much as I'm not like a huge fan of Valve's games, <laughs> with the exception of Portal 1 and 2, but 1 more so than 2, um, I, 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 yeah, uh, for, as, for as much as I am largely indifferent about uh, a lot of Valve's actual video games, um, I think that what the, I mean... I, I think Valve's role in pushing forward VR for as much as you can kind of look at it as, as maybe not a a massive um, success or, or mainstream success or whatever. I think that the stuff that Valve has done 
to kind of create a, a good unified VR experience on his platform and, and, and make a lot of different headsets work nicely with Steam VR and, um, and everything there, I think, is a big deal. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, there was, you know, uh, there's, there's, there was some guy, uh, well, he's a reporter, I think, uh, but like some people have been pulling apart some of the steam OS updates and steam VR updates and finding references to new hardware for a long time. Now there's been something going around called code, you know, like code named Deckard. And the basic idea is that if it was like a, a quest pro, but made by valve and made for steam and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and then there's been an additional some additional talk as of late about another device referred to as as Galileo um that maybe is more of a lighter weight like the the guts are not in the headset but they sell a separate box that has the guts in it or maybe that box is a steam deck or maybe that bo- you know maybe it does hook up to your PC or whatever like like there's it just seems like they're doing some continuing to do some weird shit in the VR space. Um, I can't wait to see what they do with the steam deck in the future of what the, the next iteration on that ends up being. I think that there's, um, a lot of potential there. I'm, I'm very, I'm also very interested. Was it, was it Lenovo announced that they are making a, uh, a steam deck style device. Hopefully that'll be better than that ROG ally thing was. um, I would be interested in trying one of those out when they finally hit. I think those are out next next month or something like that. So it's not too far off. Um, and yeah, I I uh, I, I think uh, I think Valve has done a lot of really fascinating things for the world of just games in general. I mean, we can we can limit that to PC games because obviously they did a, a some huge things there when it comes to digital sales of games and, and developer services, honestly, in terms of like, Hey, uh, we'll just give you the space you need to store your saves. And also, uh, people can download the game and it's patches from us directly. You know, stuff that obviously, you know, the Xbox 360 and PS3, like, like consoles would go on to do a lot of that same stuff in varying ways, but also they would, pass some of those charges onto the user and start charging people to play online multiplayer in a way that valve has never done. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to understate valve's impact, uh, when it comes to, uh, what the, the things that they have done for the, 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 the things that their business has done for the gaming industry. I mean, you know, this isn't, I'm, you know, I don't want to prescribe a bunch of altruistic motives here. I mean, they, they made a fucking lot of money along the way. I'm sure. Uh, oh no, I spilled my rip it all over my feet. I've got a lot of active Mandarin on my toes now. Does that turn anyone? Does that, <clears throat> that do anything for anybody? Um, no. All right. Well, Congratulations to Valve. Steam is 20 years old. Why don't we get into some emails here? Podcast guard.bike is the email address for you. And you can send in your emails and I will take a look at them. And I will read some of them. Zach from Kentucky writes in. 
says, I wanted to ask what the deal with One Must Fall was. I remember this game when I was young, but never understood its significance. I remember my dad and his friends talking about it. I also think you've streamed this game. Was this game really hyped or some sort of groundbreaking game? I just saw it as some strange fighting game that I didn't understand. Hmm. So the, the significance of One Must Fall is that you did not get a lot of good playable fighting games on the PC. You got a lot of, you know, input on PC. We talk about, you know, Steam. But like one of the other things that helped unify PC gaming was uh, the Xbox 360 controller and, you know, USB ports and, and, and all of that stuff. This came out before all that. Um, and back then the idea of hooking two game pads up to a control up to a computer was difficult. Uh, and depending on what kind of, it was, it was impossible. I didn't have a way to do it. And so the idea of like, Oh, here's a game that you could play two player. Here's a, here's a, you know, you, you can play this game with, with another person and, and it actually moves at a good speed and the inputs feel good in ways that a lot of the, you know, like they would port street fighter two to the PC. Like I remember buying super street fighter two for the PC and it came with this six button controller that looked like it was like, it looked, it was shaped like a three button Genesis controller, but it somehow had six buttons on it. It felt like fucking trash and I never once got it to work. And so it was this DOS version of super street fighter two, or just maybe, I guess maybe just street fighter two turbo. Um, Felt like garbage, ran like shit. Controller compatibility was basically zero. Um, it was a disaster. And so One Must Fall, um, while it didn't necessarily solve the two controller problem per se, um, it played well. It ran well. It was it was you know compatible with your stuff. It was you know it it uh, and it was unique and it kind of had finishing moves like a Mortal Kombat, which was very exciting at the time. Um, it was just a good fun fighting game on a platform that did not get good fun fighting games. Um, with some limited exceptions, I think the, the mortal Kombat ports to PC are actually very good. They have to compromise it a little bit because they were four button controllers and mortal Kombat's a five button game, if not a six button game. Um, but generally speaking, you just didn't get fighting games on the PC. Um, it's part of why emulation was such a big deal for a lot of years is because like you could suddenly play fatal fury or world heroes or, you know, like all these other like great fighting games, um, on a PC, uh, and they, you know, ran well and the inputs worked and, and, and people would go and build keyboard joystick controllers that the computer thought was a keyboard because that was the best way to have two joysticks and two controllers and all this other wild shit. So yeah, it was, you know, it was, the times were tough for PC game players back in those days. Compatibility was hard. Getting games to move and, and scroll smoothly was not easy. Uh, One Must Fall was just a well-made fun fighting game. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the thing about it. So I, I guess like maybe that I would call it groundbreaking in that specific sense, but not, you know, it's cool. It's fun. Uh, the music's pretty good. Is basically what I guess I would say about it. Um, 
Joe writes in and says, I'm new to gaming on modern PCs. I want to use some mods on Starfield to enable DLSS, add FOV options, etc. I've seen a site called Nexus Mods. Is this a good place to start? Give me your mods opinions. Uh, Nexus Mods, as far as I can tell, is the only kind of game in town for some of that stuff. And at least in terms of like, here's a unified place to find that stuff. Um, and so I, I think that's that's probably... Uh, that's probably your best bet for, for those sorts of things. Eventually there's, you know, uh, Starfield is going to get something resembling official mod support next year, whatever that means. Uh, people are already releasing mods for it. There is a DLSS mod for it. I have not messed with it cause I, I have not had any performance issues with the game. Uh, granted, I, you know, this PC is pretty powerful, but you know, I have, I have not had any issues on that front, so I haven't felt the need to ditch FSR in, in favor of, of DLSS. Um, though if you are going to use mods or if you want to use like console commands or something like that, I saw a mod on there. So uh, installing mods or using console commands to cheat or something like that disables achievements. You won't get your achievements in the game. Um, there is a mod that re-enables achievements. And so you can then turn on God mode and go get all your Xbox achievements, I guess, which I might do at some point because I was playing the game pre-release um, and the game was not giving out achievements pre-release for whatever reason. And pre-release, sometimes things are funky. It's, it's, it's normal. Um, and so the achievements for like go to space for the first time and, and whatever else, like I didn't get those. And, uh, and it, it didn't trip the next time I went to space. It didn't go like, this is the first time we've seen you go to space. It just, the, the achievement just didn't ring up. So I might start a new game, go back and cheat my way through the first couple hours just to, uh, unlock some of those early achievements or I, I don't know. Um, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see if I care enough to do it. Who are we kidding? I do. I do. I do care. I care enough to do it. I'll do it. I'll absolutely do it. Um, but yeah, Nexus mods, as far as I can tell is, is pretty much the only game in town these days, which is weird. Uh, but it's good that there's at least one unified home for that stuff. Um, Greg from Kansas writes in and says Astro's playroom got me thinking about the different eras of PlayStation consoles and how I feel about them based on game selection, console design, Accessories, overall design philosophy for that generation, lasting influence, etc. Ranking them on those factors made me a little surprised on the order, especially if I included the PS5. How would you rank the console eras of Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo? This is actually a really hard thing to do because, you know, you you end up like, you know, nostalgia ends up playing a role in ways that it maybe shouldn't. Um, but... I think, you know, starting with PlayStation, you know, I, I look at it as like overall game library. I look at it as like the, the, well, that's a hard one, man. Cause I was, I was about to say like the diversity of games available on the platform, but PS4 and PS5 were no slouch in that department. It's just that diversity in games means a different thing now, because we're talking about a lot of indie developers, a lot of self-published games. Whereas we used to be talking about those kind of mid-tier double A games, the the B game, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
that uh, were all over the PlayStation 2 and Xbox 360. Like that that budget of a game just, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to get that approved these days. Um, but for me, I look at the PS1 and PS2 eras incredibly fondly, largely because it was before games were always released worldwide. And so as someone who was frequently importing games, there was a lot more mystery around releases. There was always like some mysterious game that was only out in Japan. And you're like, I wonder what that's about. I wonder, we got to get our hands on that. That looks, you know, whether it was some weird fighting game, like critical blow or, 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 you know, or whatever. um, It always felt like, you know, there was this whole other world and there was, you know, there was a whole other region out there that was getting a ton of games that were never coming to the U S or they'd come like eight months later. And so you were like, fuck it, let's get Tekken. Uh, because it's a fighting game and it's in English anyway, we don't need to, you know, we're, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, so let's just import Tekken two now and not wait for Namco to put it out here. Uh, and that was awesome. And so I look at the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 1 as largely neck and neck. PS2 probably pulls ahead a little bit just in terms of just like the worldwide library for those platforms. It was never like that again. It was never quite like that again. By the time we got to the PlayStation 3, um, that stuff was already tapering off. Um, though you still had some games that, you know, on, on PS3 that were not coming over to the States. It was, it was just a smaller and smaller number. And by the time the PS4 came around, you know, gaming, gaming became the worldwide business it always should have been. And, uh, you know, now we have Japanese developers making games for worldwide release and, and thinking about the West a lot more than they used to. And so, um, it's different now. So I, I look at the PlayStation one and two as special from those specific angles. Um, but I think overall, like, I, I think the PS4 is fucking incredible. Like, I think the PS4 had, like, an incredible run of games. Um, because self-publishing and indie games, like, a lot of that stuff changed around then. And so you just had a lot more games, big and small, on the on the console. And it just felt like a, a good a good wide swath of releases. And that was kind of cool. PS5 kind of... Uh, PS4 and PS5 feel like kind of the same thing. You know? I mean, not, that's not to say that PS5 games don't look better or whatever. But, like, you know. Just in terms of the console's capabilities and, and you know, the types of games we're playing, that hasn't changed. The, the types of services and features available to us on the console, it's not that different. You know, um, you could say that all of the PS5 has fewer games or whatever, but I, but I, I more mean just in terms of the types of games that we're seeing. Um, the PS5 just continued the last generation right where it left off. It's the PS4 Part 2. They just kind of kept going. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that makes sense because obviously, you know, like there, there's no big paradigm shift in gaming that happened around, you know, like the, the, the types of games people like to play, the sales, the, the in, indicate you should make these types of games. Like, like none of that really changed that dramatically over the last, 10 years or, or whatever it's been. Um, or that shift has been gradual enough that it's all kind of felt like the same thing. 
Um, so you didn't have that thing of like games used to be like this. And then this console came out and now games are this, which you only get once or twice in a lifetime. Right. I mean, that's like the, Hey, uh, I had a Genesis and then I got a PlayStation and what the fuck, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, and what the fuck are video games anymore? I don't know. I had a I had a Super Nintendo and then I got an N64 and I played Mario 64 and what the fuck are video games now? You know? Like that's That doesn't happen every 5 years. Like I said, and that's something, you know, you, you get like once, maybe twice a lifetime. Um So yeah, in terms of ranking the eras, I think I'd put PS2, PS1, PS4, PS5, PS3. I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. For Microsoft, I think that the Xbox 360 is their best work. Um, And then I would say the Series X. And then I would probably say the original Xbox. And then the Xbox One, which is a weird one. Because, I mean, the Xbox One got all the same games the PS4 got. But they're just not, you know, just often didn't run as well. Um, But the Xbox 360... The Xbox 360 is one of the greatest gaming consoles ever released. You know, it's it's in it's in that top three, top five, top two, whatever you want to call it. It's the closest thing Microsoft has to a PlayStation 2. Um and uh Yeah, that was a great console. N- Nintendo was a much larger, weirder. Like, yeah, ranking the console eras for Nintendo, I mean that just becomes pure nostalgia at that point because I would say SNES and then the NES. Um, and then the rest are all tied. I, I, it's, I don't, you know, it's like you could make the argument that the Wii is the most important thing they've ever done because of its mainstream appeal. And, you know, you could do that. But like, I, like in terms of like my actual use of the Wii, I don't know that I would say it's definitely number third. It's definitely number three. Like the GameCube. It's whatever. <laughs> GameCube, you know, the GameCube was the last time they had full third-party support. But a lot of times those games ran better on an original Xbox. Um, And I love Wind Waker. I'm trying to think of other first-party games that Nintendo put out on the GameCube. Animal Crossing. That's amazing. Um... Animal Crossing and Wind Waker. And then they put out a bunch of other stuff. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. Paper Mario. Paper Mario is cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there are any other big first party Nintendo games that I'm like jumping out of my chair about. Um, But I don't know who the hell knows. Uh, Michael writes in from Massachusetts. 
was wondering if you had an opinion on which version of the classic Disney Aladdin games was better, the SNES version by Capcom or the Genesis version by Virgin Games. Personally, I'm a Genesis guy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, 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 I think the thing I realized last time this argument came up when people were real mad about it on Twitter um, is that I think the Genesis game is a better game, but I don't think I care about either of them all that much. Uh, but that Genesis game is cool. It looks great. Um, it controls well. It feels special, whereas the Super Nintendo game Aladdin just seems like, oh yeah, this is like a good side scroller, or whatever, licensed, whatever. You know, like it's it's not. It's certainly not a bad game, but um, something about that Genesis game seems special. <clears throat> Let's see. Cal in Manchester in the UK writes in and says, you mentioned that these days multiplayer games are a lot less social with lobbies filtering through players quickly. Whereas back in the day, you could be in the same lobby as somebody else for months, allowing you to build up relationships. Could this be something that is appealing today? Appreciate that most people on the internet suck, but could having lobbies that aim to keep the same hundred or so people in them allow a greater social experience while also, while also causing a more direct level of accountability for someone's actions, as you know, you will see these same people again. So lobbies, we're talking about servers, we're talking about PC style servers. And in the, in the quake days, you know, you would open up a server browser and you'd go like, this one looks good. And if it was a low ping, whatever the lowest ping server that was running the game mode you wanted to play was where you went. And same players would, would end up there for the same reasons in a lot of cases, or like, Hey, I know a friend of mine runs this server, so I'm going to be on this one or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and so you would end up running into the same players again and again, because, you know, you would favor that server and you would go back to that server. And, or if you knew the person that was running the server, you'd be like, Hey man, some new maps came out. You should add them to the server. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, cool. I'll add them. Uh, and, and that was always cool too. Um, in terms of like, does that, you know, would that help create community? Would that help create, um, accountability accountability is a weird one because a lot of the accountability conversation has been offloaded to the console manufacturers. It used to be the person running that server, the person who physically was at the computer um, or the person that had snuck the quake server onto their university's uh, network without anyone noticing, you know, they were administrating the server and that means that they were, either good or bad at it. Sometimes they let people get on there and be dicks. Sometimes people would hack and cheat and whatever else. Sometimes you'd have people that'd be like, Hey, you talked a bunch of weird shit and we're banning you from the server for being an asshole or we're banning you from the server because we think you're cheating. We're banning you from the server because your ping is too low. You know, you would end up with people that were banning people from the server for no good reason. Like that also happens, you know, it's like anything like a discord server, like, you know, anything where, where individuals get to be in charge of it, there's good and there's bad that comes with that. Um, and I think that, you know, like, I think that's kind of cool, but I think a lot of games don't necessarily, well, I, yeah, I don't know. Like if you had call of duty servers and you just joined one and it was the lowest ping, but you know, ping's not as much of a problem as it was then, you know? So it's not as much, that's not as big of a deal. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm 12. My ping is 12 to this server. 
fucking 12. We're definitely using this one. Um, you know, it just it doesn't happen the same way as it used to. Uh, now people, yeah, now people complain about Wi-Fi users. Just wire up your console. Just do it. Just do it. Um, I like the idea of, of localized communities, but like that, you know, that kind of has its downsides. And the thing is, is like, I think you can get there now without having to do anything to the games. So discord, you know, there are other ways for people to, to talk about the games they want to play and they come in as a group whether it's like something like Dota and they're forming a team and they're going to play against random people or it's something like, oh, hey, why don't we set up a server and we'll play, you know, we'll set up a private lobby and we'll invite each other to it. And, you know, it's like a hassle sometimes to get that game together. But like you can get everybody in together in a lobby and play a private game of Call of Duty if you want to. And you can organize that on your Discord server or, or whatever else. I like the idea of the like the public server as public square in a weird way. It is kind of cool. Um, and so, but like, and, and that culture that would form around a server would always be interesting because sometimes you would be on a server and you'd realize like all of these people are better than me. It's like, it's awesome that this, uh, it, it, it's, it's really great that, that this thing, uh, is like really low ping and I'm getting a really good response from the server but everyone here is too good and I have to go somewhere else. It's always a very shameful admission to yourself. I'm just like, oh, fuck, man. I can't, I can't play here. I'm not good enough. Um, but yeah, uh, that stuff was always uh, interesting. I don't know, how, I don't know you, that you could get that back in a meaningful way, but um, some games still do have custom servers and that stuff can still exist. Um, but the bigger the game gets, the harder it is to maintain anything like that. I think is, is probably how it ends up. Stu writes in and says, so now that there is a patch to fix performance issues more than four months after release, I have found that Jedi survivor is quite a good game. There is no way respawn wanted to release the game in that condition. I am wondering if you believe EA knows they fucked up. Will the suits look at forecasts versus performance and acknowledge a massive amount of lost sales? Or will there now be enough sales that they won't care and find a way to rationalize it? Do they get it ever? So I I, uh, I fired up Jedi Survivor as well and uh, found that, that I, it was not running great <laughs> um, after that last patch, which is um, annoying. Um, so I, yeah... The will what what lesson will be learned here? So, if you remember prior to Jedi Survivor's release, there was a delay, and that delay was put in place so that they could polish it up and get it where it needs to be. At least that was the the way it was spun. You know, it was like, hey, we're you know we're going to take a little bit of extra time because you know because we know last time it came in too hot. Um, and you know, it took four months for the PC version to get where it needs to be. Apparently I'll, I'll spend some more time with it when I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's not great. 
And that's not, you know, like the, the handful of weeks they delayed the game did not give them enough time to get the game in the shape that it is now four months later. Uh, and that's troubling. So what do you do next time around when you're making a third one of these? Do you give it an even longer dev cycle? I would think so. I think if you're if you're on the end that you're budgeting that stuff out and you're making plans as to how long it's going to take you to make the game, I think you tack some months onto the end of that. But who knows? I you know maybe maybe it's stuff that they didn't even know was going to happen to this degree, and so they had to scramble to fix a lot of these issues or or something. You know, it was like you know it's it's always the the, the discussion around like, hey, PCs are hard. Um, there's so many different hardware configurations. There's so much this, there's so much that like accounting for all of those variables uh, is, is very difficult as opposed to a closed platform, like a console. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the actual answer is there because the, I don't think the game necessarily suffered on the reviews front, which used to be kind of the, that was the ability for people to kind of put a thumb on the scale or, you know, it's not, you know, tell it like it is and say, Hey, uh, this game is not where it needs to be. Reviews used to be the the place where that happened. And review, we can, the, the reviews have been neutered and robbed of their power in so many different ways over the years, whether it's the way that games are sold and shipped to game pass or publications themselves, not having the people and the time to, do reviews the way they should, you know, there's a a million different reasons why reviews are, um, fucked up these days. Um, but that used to be the like, Hey, uh, you shipped this game. It's broken. And I am now telling at least, you know, back in, the the widest reach that I had with reviews, it was a case of like, and now I'm going to tell over a million people that I think your game is fucked up, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that had weight. That held some kind of weight. Not, you know, I'm not over here like, and I used to be, you know, whatever. It's not any fucking horse shit like that. Um, but whatever, yeah. I mean, there's an audience of people that, that love to play games on release day. Pre-order campaigns have only become more prevalent. Now we've got like pre-order to play five days early. So like the incentives are built in such a way that um, that players are rewarded for spending monies before the reviews even hit. And, um, you know, the 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 ways that games get withheld from certain uh, uh, reviewers so that they can try to cherry pick positive reviews. I'm not, this is not a, ca- a case like that, but like speaking of cherry picking, uh, there's a big, like one of those big, gra- like graphics of just like, here's all the review scores we got for Starfield. And it's like, look at all these nines we got. And as you're looking through it, it's like, I, you know, I, I do this for a fucking living. And I look at the publications on this list and I just go like, who the fuck are, who is this? Who did this? Um, and whatever, like they all have to be that now because there are, it's not like there are like five huge publications. So, you know, and the bigger publications did not give Starfield high, super high reviews anyway. You know, it's like, they're not going to put the IGN score on there. Um, 
And so like some amount of this digging is totally normal and natural these days if you want to do something like that to begin with. But yeah, go look at Metacritic, go look at, you know, OpenCritic, like the, the, there are no, stuff is bad. There's a lot of bad or, or, or like, like very middling work out there these days in that space. And, um, as always, I think you need to find the people you trust and find the bylines you care about and, uh, and, and seek out those reviews. Um, I think that stuff like Metacritic and OpenCritic have long outlasted their usefulness because I think the Metacritic was, was always built on this idea that as long as it's these sets of reviewers that are like vetted to a degree, and as long as those reviewers apply their ranking consistently, then the meta score will mean something. But now you're at a point where some publications don't review every game. They only review the big games. They don't review the small games. And so they only give these scores. And so they only do. And again, there's a billion different reasons why this happens. It's we're not going to get super into it, but the consistency and the, uh, the, the, the predictability of who is going to review a game and that's going to make up your meta score and that's going to make up your open critics and whatever, like that's gone. That whole thing is just gone because of the way reviews are, are handled these days in this business. And so the idea of like, we've brought all these websites together to figure out what the consensus is on this game. And here's the consensus based on these reviews. Um, that stuff's never been worse. It's always been sort of broken. Um, and yeah, and, and Metacritic does have a, they have a closed source ranking formula where they weight some publications higher than others. I worked for the same company that owned Metacritic and I never got to see that. I was always of the opinion that they should flatten it. They should publicize it. Um, and they should also let you, the user customize it. So if you have a review source that you think is not trustworthy, you can uncheck it and it no longer factors in. Um, and so you pick and choose the review sources you trust to see what the number is. Now that also plays into people cherry picking review sources to get the numbers they want to get for whatever dumb fucking forum argument they want to have. But that's the actual problem, right? Is that the conversation around Metacritic, that's not to say that all the traffic going to Metacritic is people like this. Cause I don't think it is. Um, but the people that talk about Metacritic, the people that publicly talk about the sanctity of Metacritic um, are only doing so because they want to have weird, dumb fanboy arguments on like ancient message boards. It has nothing to do with like, I'm using these reviews to try to figure out which games are good. I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to figure out like what the, the right game for me is. Is this the next game for me to purchase? I don't know. Like that's not happening uh, in the same way that it used to. And so, you know, I, I look at the stuff like the review aggregators, you know, whether it's Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes had their big fun scandal recently where there were some reviewers that were being paid to review a movie and give it a positive review to try to uh, turn a score around. And they did it. They successfully did it. Um. The dumbest thing, and, and and there was some around some of the, I saw this on, I looked at Twitter the other day for the first time in a while, and um, 
it was someone was saying like some people should have to if people are going to be on metacritic they need to be vetted and they should have to report this and it was like someone that had some axe to grind about number of hours played or something um and it's just like okay yeah like you know there's nothing wrong with data and there's nothing wrong with talking about how much you played the game how how many how much time it spent you know I, i'm not one of these people that says like the hour count doesn't matter because we're talking about art like yeah we, we can do both there's no harm in saying like in the 35 hours i spent with this it, i saw this this and this nothing wrong with it but the idea that it's like these reviews can only be good if that number is higher than you know if they haven't spent this amount of time with this then they don't it was just like no that who fucking jesus christ uh like no like all, all you're doing is like creating more points for people to argue about on message boards it's 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 a series of bad faith arguments um and we as a publication wasted a lot of time catering to bad faith arguments in in our review policy and in 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 ways we tried to write our reviews in a bulletproof way that would then you know again these people making bad faith fanboy arguments would just take it and try to try to twist the words in whatever way suited them no matter what you wrote they would find some way to be like well that guy hates this anyway you know they would always fall back and like well it's their bias anyway like jesus christ People are fucking children. I don't care how old they are. They're fucking children and they can go fuck themselves. They're a waste of time. Catering to them is a gigantic waste of time. So the idea that like, you know, we've got to protect the sanctity of these review aggregators or whatever is, is like pathetic. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that, that someone would say that in this day and age. Um, but there you go. People are fucking crazy. Harris writes in and says, I like Starfield. <laughs> it's grabbed me in a really strong way the story the world the surprises it is a contender for my game of the year am i wrong i don't feel wrong no you're not wrong there's nothing wrong with liking starfield i like starfield i i am liking it less as i play more of it like i said the the main story as i get kind of close to wrapping it up i'm like uh i didn't this is this is rubbing me the wrong way um but I like a lot of the stuff in Starfield. I, again, I, my complaints about Starfield are, you know, more about the, the, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm not like, there are some people that are really up in arms about the number of load screens and uh, how a lot of they're like, Oh, this feel. And, and like, I get it to a degree, but like, I, again, it's weird expectations uh, of people thinking that game was something that it's not. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, expectations for that game just got really weird and out of whack. I think the other thing I'm finding is that like, I don't, I originally was like all these, all of these companions seem potentially interesting. And now that I'm getting further along in some of that stuff and I've done some of the companion specific messages, uh, mission stuff. I'm like, eh, I don't, none of these guys are, none of these people are standing out anymore. They're not, they're not great. I like Sam still. But, eh. But yes, no, I mean, a lot of people like Starfield. Like, it's not, you know, 
that's not that's not a weird take um but i think you know i think it's a game that has significant there are significant parts of, of Starfield that you look at and think this could be better, whether it's the ship builder, the UI, the map, the what, you know, there's just like mechanical stuff about it that you look at and go like, this is weird. It's weird that this is not better considering how big this game is. It's weird that this stuff has not been improved in a meaningful way. It feels old. That's not the end of the world. Um, Nokia writes in and says, instead of shutting down the servers for the Xbox 360, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a good idea to just make a classic version of that console? You could release it with the store and the online and have everything downloadable like usual, only in a sleeker, small package with the Blades interface. I think people would go crazy for it. They could release it with preloaded games already like Call of Duty 4 and market it with so much nostalgia. I understand why Sony won't do it with the PS3 as the cell seems like something people still do not understand. But I think it would be a big hit for Microsoft. Uh, I mean, just go get an or go get an Xbox Series S at that point, um, and and buy the backwards compatible games because there are there are a lot of them. It's not all of them, but the reason they would be shutting down the storefront for the Xbox 360 is more about having to constantly, um maintain that storefront make sure that it is secure and that security is up to date and you know this is the stuff but when they turn off the store what i would like what i would prefer is if they got to a point where it's like hey we're going to still sell these games on the web because we sell a lot of games on the web already and we can just move them over here and there's just an icon here that says hey uh this game does not run on xbox series s or xbox one you will need an actual xbox 360 I wish those games were still for still going to be for sale, I guess is the point. So if you had a, an Xbox 360, you could hook it up and play those games that are not backwards compatible or or whatever. I think that that would be, you know, if they have to shut down the store on the console, I think that makes sense. I think that there's, there's security reasons. There's software like just updating. Like there's, there's good reasons to shut that shit down. But, um... Yeah, it's a little frustrating. But yeah, a classic console, like, no, nah, I, I don't I don't think there's enough call for that. I think, you know, anyone anyone who doesn't already own an Xbox 360 or own any of these games, the backwards compatibility list covers most of the popular use cases, I think, or re-releases. Like, like a lot of the games you would go like, oh, man, I remember I had an Xbox 360. I would love to go back and play. Blah. You can. That game is, that game is probably backwards compatible. So I don't think there's, I just don't think there's a, a good enough reason to, to do it. Um, Carlos in Massachusetts writes in and says the new price increase of PlayStation plus moved me to take some inventory as to what exactly do I need it for? The last multiplayer game I played was Diablo four. And that's only because I had to be online. Does final fantasy 14 need it? I can play that on my, on my deck. Diablo four. Also, if I ever go back to it, I guess the only reason I actually need PlayStation Plus is for the free games I've accumulated, which I hardly play anyway. So yeah, I canceled mine. Yeah, yeah, it kind of seems like in the wake of the price increase, I mean, anecdotally or whatever, but you know, I saw a lot of people in chat last week and and got some emails from people saying like, I'm done. Like this is not, there's no, there's no value to this 
um, to this subscription or, or the value I get out of this subscription is not worth $80 a year. Um, so forget it. Um, and I get it. Like, I, yeah, I don't, I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, like I, there, I, I play multiplayer games on console just enough. And it's usually, it's, it's a factor of like, I think if it was up to me, if it was not a case of just like, sometimes I get review copies of games that are on console and I need to play those multiplayer. Like it's just, it, it comes with the territory with what I'm, with what I'm doing for a living. Um, but if it was up to me, I, I don't think I would need either Xbox live or, um, PlayStation plus G- game pass on PC. I would, I would get, I would, I would, I would do, I would probably sign up for a game pass type thing. Um, but even then I might come and go on it depending on like, I might be like, Oh, I'm going to sign up for it for this month to play Starfield And then, and then whatever, and then let it expire because I'm done playing Starfield. I don't know. Um, but yeah, seem like a, a fair number of people that are, uh, uh, again, probably not that many, but anecdotally, I've, I've seen a lot of people say that they're out and I'm curious if this is a significant number or if it's just, you know, the people in our circles seem to be, um, fed up with it. <clears throat> Joshua writes in and says, I have recently come into serious financial hardship and I'm wanting to sell the majority of my video game collection. Uh, a lot of hard thought about whether I will need them or will ever play them. I was wondering if you had any tips on ways to accomplish this without having to sell them one by one. I, I don't, I, I, I have, I have not sold a video game in 30 years or something. You know, I, I don't know. Like I, I've like actually sell a video game. Yeah. I, I have not done it. Um, if you put it up on eBay as a lot, you will make less money than if you broke them apart and sold them one by one. Um, I think that is almost guaranteed. Uh, if you, if you sell them all in bulk like that, um, if you take them into a shop, they're gonna, they're gonna rip you off. Um, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace and some of that stuff. You're going to have people emailing you all hours of the day being like, can I just buy this one game? How much for this thing? How much do you still have this? I'm going to come by tomorrow and then never show up. And you're going to have to deal with people all hours of the night harassing you about your fucking games. Um, I've seen people, uh, you know, I, I've, I've appeared on the insert credit podcast a couple of times and I've seen people on their message boards. Um, selling stuff and trying to be fair about their prices and, and, and so on and so forth. So if you're part of any community, I'm not saying go sign up for insert credit just to post your ads about the games you're trying to sell. Um, I don't know that they would be super fucking down for that, but maybe they would. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, you could always kind of split the difference a little bit, figure out which games are worth the most money via price charting or, or whatever else and pull out the top 25% and sell those individually. And then the rest try to sell in bulk or try to lot them up in like, here's 10 Xbox 360 games. Here's 20 of this or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, you could, you could try to go that route with it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know that I have like an amazing, like perfect. I, I don't know that I have like perfect advice for this because you know, anyone that's like, yeah, anyone that's trying to collect games like, yeah. Yeah. Dan Reichert. No, no, no. Dan's going to be the guy that's like sending you Facebook marketplace messages at like two in the morning, trying to like talk you down to 20% of what you were offering or something. That's just, that's, that's the Dan Reichert way. Um, yeah. Let's see uh, if we have any more here. Matthew uh, from Australia has the age-old question about Capcom. With the, ter- with, with the return of Marvel versus Capcom 3 to the Evo main stage and the last ent- entry being released in 2017, it feels like now would be a good time for Capcom to revisit the versus style fighting game. Licensing Marvel seems to be increasingly difficult. So could they make a true Marvel versus Capcom successor without Marvel characters? Would fans accept it? If Capcom were to branch out of the Marvel Universe, who would you like to see Capcom use? Could they license out a range of third parties, Smash Brothers style, or should they just lean into their back catalog and go full Capcom versus Capcom? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Every 90 days, someone asks. They don't necessarily send it to me, but a minimum of every 90 days, someone asks this question. Um... I think the Tatsunoko versus Capcom was a cool game. That felt like something that they did when they were like, well, Capcom Marvel sucks, so let's do this. And that was a neat thing. Um, I think if you're looking at other licenses or, or whatever for like specifically the versus style game, which is a Capcom versus SNK three is not a versus style game. That is a, it's a proper grounded fighting game. It is not the, tag team fucking crazy wild shit that um, MVC has been uh, over the years. Uh, I don't know. Like Capcom has a big enough library that they could do something like that for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, what other properties would I like to see Capcom team up with? Specifically for the high-flying air combo crazy style fighting game that Marvel vs. Capcom has been? Um, shit, man. I don't know. You know, like Tatsunoko was a neat idea. Would there be another, you know, like, what, you go get Sunrise? I don't know. What, what's the... You go get Bandai... I guess, well, Namco would probably have a thing or two to say about that, but, uh, you know, is, is there like, what, what anime company would you go get? Yeah. AEW versus Capcom. That would be funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, for me, when it comes to like the versus game stuff that I would most like to see, for me, it comes back to uh, Mortal Kombat. I still think that would be. I still think that seeing Capcom, uh, seeing a Capcom version of Scorpion, would be really neat. That art style, that two D art style. I guess I should just be specific. Um, 
but like all of the yeah the sprite based mk characters that showed up in mugen uh mugen mugen every time um were pretty awesome (laughs) um and uh so something like that would be would be kind of cool you could see scorpion doing like the fucking spider-man swing thing or something you know they give him some some different moves if they wanted to um I think that would be interesting. I think Street Fighter characters in Mortal Kombat would be interesting, but a little less interesting. <clears throat> um, at the same time, I do, and I think Ed Boon was out on on Twitter trying to do polls and stuff and, and fielding questions, and, and this came up. But I think Street Fighter characters as cameo fighters in Mortal Kombat 1 would be really interesting. And a really interesting way to kind of start to bridge that gap if they wanted to. Um, I would love to see that. I would love to see like here's here's four Street Fighter characters as cameos. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but cameos characters do have fatalities. So you would not avoid the concept of you have to give these Street Fighter characters fatalities. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Capcom is uh, is up for that uh, or not. Um, let's see. I don't know that we have. Ben in Boston writes in and says, the recent price increase for PlayStation Plus has me wondering these days, what is your understanding of how the big console platform holders make most of their money? I assume the math has changed a lot in the past decade. Is it largely game sales, subscriptions, microtransactions? Does anybody know, or is it all trade secrets? Uh, I don't think that, I don't know that that these um, percentage breakdowns come out in whatever their reporting is, but there has been. uh, Obviously, there's been a big rise in microtransaction. You know, how they make their money is they take a cut of everything, right? They... They take their 30% cut of all the sales on their store. And then in cross-play scenarios, you've got situations where Sony can potentially make a little bit more money um, off of cross-play play that happens on their platform, even if purchases happen somewhere else. That all came out in that court case, uh, the the Apple and Epic court case. I believe some of those details were were leaked as part of those documents. Um <clears throat> And then there's subscription sales. And so, you know, the the subscription sale is one of their uh, probably highest margin offerings um, when you you look at it because they're charging for it. But, you know, some of that money does go back into PlayStation Plus. Like they're going to take, uh, hey, we want to put, I don't know, Hades on Game Pass. Or we want to put, you know, like whatever deals they're cutting to get games on PlayStation Plus and games on Game Pass. You know, that's obviously money that goes out the door. Um, <clears throat> and some of those developers get paid on usage, I believe. So if you're on Game Pass and your game gets played a lot, then you would make more money versus someone who didn't. Or You know, they, they kind of do different breakdowns that way. Uh, depending, I think, is, is you know, because some games are not compatible with that type of structure so i think they're open to structuring those things differently um when it comes to the streaming side or the or the the service side of games come and go from the platform like game pass or some of these higher tiers of playstation plus um 
but I think a lot of money comes in from PlayStation Plus because of Call of Duty. And that's why we saw the lawsuit. That's why we saw Sony pushing so hard um, to push against these, this merger is because if things, you know, if they suddenly didn't have Call of Duty, a lot of that PlayStation Plus revenue would probably walk. At least that's their fear. Uh, and that was the fear they tried to, I think, kind of put forth in court a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's increasingly it's digital sales and it's uh, microtransactions. It's it's their 30% cut of everything that passes through their hands. You know, that is that is probably how they still make the bulk of their money. And then you have subscriptions uh, on top of that. Um, so... Yeah, that that is that is that is my my best guess on it. Uh, some of the stuff I, I I don't know if any of this stuff goes fully public um, when they do breakout numbers. Uh, the way the Xbox numbers get reported is specifically kind of weird. Um, I don't think Playstations are, are that much better. I don't think Nintendos are that much better either in terms of how the numbers get broken out and. And and all of that, but they do talk about like oh, your percentage of digital sales, percentage of this and that. So you you can kind of I think I I bet if we stared at it and I've just not looked at it in a long time, we could probably work our way back into something resembling an a, a good estimate, um, <clears throat> of just like percentage breakdown of of where they make their money. But I we should look because there's probably a pie chart out there that just says we make eighty percent of our money on our our store cut, and then twenty percent on playstation plus subscriptions or you know whatever the breakdown is it might be different than that but but yeah um tom from florida writes in we'll make this our last question the rpg genre has been continually taking steps toward uh streamlining and accessibility as time goes on i think the sweet spot on this scale was around titles like dragon age origins or fallout new vegas but that's subjective my question is this with Baldur's Gate 3 seeing so much success, could it influence developers to take slight steps back towards depth? Uh, depth is a weird thing. Uh, d- you know, depth, difficulty, like whatever you want to, you know, we'll label it. Um, I think we have been taking steps back in that direction across multiple genres. You know, remember that like, think about how popular Elden Ring has been. You know, um, for RPGs, you know, yeah, Baldur's Gate will, you know, maybe have an impact on future RPGs, but I think in a general sense, um, regardless of genre, I think we have seen much more willingness on the part of the worldwide audience to play, to purchase, at least, play, you know, finish, and but we've seen more and more players be willing to take chances on difficult games on games that are not games. We would have thought of as mainstream successes 20 years ago in the days of, you know, well, it's either call of duty Madden or assassin's creed and everything else can get bent. You know, like it's, it's not like that stuff is spread out in a way to where, games of multiple genres and multiple like like games can can games are holding players hands a little less at times not all of them but we're seeing stuff and i I would i would look at the popularity of dark souls 
as one of the things that helped push games back in this direction. I would look at the willingness of the audience to play games, um, to get excited about, not just play games, but for there to be online fervor about the Persona series, about the Yakuza series, um, and and genres that we never, or franchises that we never would have thought of as like being successes in the West. Yakuza is a really great example of this. Those games are now finding audiences um, and they're not finding it by dumbing things down. It's not like Yakuza came along and said, all right, Americans, we're putting twice as much Michael Madsen in this game and we're going to make it as dumb as possible. Just push the button and murder the guy. You know, like it, it's players became more interested in that style of game. Um, Again, in, in a in a general sense, I'm not saying that the, you know Yakuza was one of the biggest selling franchises of the of the year. Like, it's not always translating into game sales, but in terms of just the larger discussion around games and and viable, successful games, like Sega is able to put those games out in the West now, and um, and players are there for it. Sega Atlas, you know, whatever. Like, like Sega has been a great example, actually. You know, between persona and 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 people's continued excitement for that franchise the yakuza games uh and then you know you know we have namco coming along with you know as the as the dark souls franchise as the souls genre whatever became more and more popular i mean shit man we got to a point where from software said fuck it we're making an armored core game and a publisher said yeah fuck yeah Um, that's wild. We're at a point where Capcom is going to make a sequel to Dragon's Dogma, and people are excited about it. Yeah, and people are excited about Armored Core. People that have no business being excited about Armored Core were excited about Armored Core, and people are liking it, and that's great. Baldur's Gate 3 is reaching audiences that you never would have thought would have been turned on to that style of game. It's coming out on consoles, which you're just like, fucking what? Like, if you told me Baldur's Gate 2 was coming in an unedited format to consoles and it was going to be every bit as depth, you know, back when that game came out, I would have been like, no one's going to fucking care. You know, no one's going to be able to play it because the controller stuff will be fucking garbage. But also, you know, there's like a laundry list of reasons why you go like this. These audiences are fucking different. Don't do it. And that's just not the case anymore. Good games are able to rise to the top for as much as, you know, it's, it's easy to get downtrodden about like, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about with reviews and 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 some of these big games coming in too hot and not as polished as they should be and fuck you know rough around the edges whatever you want to say it still feels good and right out there in a way that it hasn't for a long time it feels like things are expanding the interest that players have in games and genres like stuff is coming back around and it's been moving in this direction for a long way. This has been a really great year for games. Like, I, I don't, you know, how well is stuff selling and whatever else? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily look too closely at, uh, at sales, you know, all the time. Like I kind of catch up on it when I can. Um, but there's been a lot of great success stories out there this year and they're coming from different places. You know, it's like, 
we we also talk about like oh it really feels like ubisoft has hit a really rough patch you know like what skull and bones lost another creative director doesn't have a release date like what are they doing with far cry like they're doing something with far cry because they're hiring new people for the far cry team and whatever but you know ubisoft feels like they're in a bit of a rough spot right um so some of these like big players ea doesn't feel like it's firing on all cylinders on a similar token right like i don't know the, the sports stuff Maybe I'm just not in a position where I hear about it as much, but Madden really felt like it just was a, a it just came and went, you know, and I'm sure it sold fine. I'm sure like it, it, Madden sold within 10% of what it always sells. I'm sure. Right. It, it, there's it's whatever. Um, it's just, it feels weird to me. Like they just, they just kind of finally announced UFC like UFC is out next month. They're putting UFC five out next month. And I feel like they haven't really said much of anything about it. They put out like a trailer saying, well, you had more info soon. And then the info turned out being, yeah, we're putting out another one in like six weeks. And you're like, oh, shit, really? Okay, fuck. Are you making it better? Hell yeah, we are. Yeah, but are you making it better? Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, but are you making it better? We've redesigned the submission. I don't know. I, I... it would be I, I I am excited to play the new UFC game at the same time. That is how I felt about the last several, and I just don't know that I maybe I, I don't think I care about what UFC is anymore. I think I'm just incapable of like for me, when I think about a UFC game, I still think about that game that came out on the Dreamcast and how incredible that game was and what the UFC was back then. And uh it's all exciting. And then I look at modern UFC and I go, oh, yeah. Eh, you know. So. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the industry. Uh, not, not, uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing more, more games from um, a wider array of publishers that can do well worldwide and franchises that you wouldn't think would do well um, for console players or do well in certain territories. Like those barriers feel like they're being removed and, uh, and we're seeing a, an array of players that are just like excited about good games, even if they're in genres that maybe you wouldn't have expected to blow up. Um, and I don't know, it's, you know, Baldur's Gate sounds like it's doing fucking gangbusters sales wise on console as well. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's an interesting time for video games. It really is. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I started, I started building a list of just like, what are the games I need to think about when it comes to the end of the year and awards or, or whatever else? Um, both of the, as a factor of like, what are some games I need to play and, and, or finish? And what are the games I've already played and or finished that I need to remember? Um, and I started writing it out. I was like, fuck, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of really good stuff this year. Um, And yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's 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 it all it all feels pretty good. There's there's little stories all over that you look at and go, that doesn't seem good. Whether it's you know, like I said, Ubisoft kind of floundering, um, live service games coming going in the blink of an eye. And you're like, what the fuck happened there? 
Um, like some of that stuff feels pretty rotten. All the, you know, obviously volition shutting down is a fucking tragedy. It's fucking terrible. Um, but I think in terms of just like shipped software, like there's been a lot of really fucking good shit this year too. So it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a weird year for games, but, uh, but there's been some good ones. Anyway, that's going to do it for me here. Thanks everybody for hanging out. We've got to, yeah, we got to figure out this week. Um, so what I may do here is um, we may do Nintendo games tomorrow and then do Mortal Kombat on Friday, I think is, uh, is how we'll end up doing this. Because Mortal Kombat comes out, I think, Thursday night is when that's out. So, you know, if you're going to get your hands on, on that version of the game, maybe we can play some multiplayer Mortal Kombat. Um, and we can probably do that on Friday. Uh, and, and so if we're going to do that Friday, I guess that means we got to do hardcore 8-bit Nintendo action on Wednesday. I will build the list for... I will build another list of 9 or 10 games uh, and we can, uh, we can get on back to the, uh, the real work of scientifically ranking every game released for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We've done like six of those. Head on over to the YouTube channel. Catch those. Um, head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. You get on the Discord. You get some bonus shows. Get an ad-free version of this show. The hot shit. And so on and so forth. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Thanks, everybody, for signing up for the Patreon. Um, you, you, you help keep this operation going. This has been a, a rickety fucking crazy pirate ship of an operation uh, this past year and change, uh, but uh, it's been super fucking fun and, and doing the Nintendo stuff the, has been, I, I really look forward to that every single week. It's been, it's been so much fun doing that. Um, so yeah, check all that stuff out. I guess subscribe to the YouTube channel or if you're here on Twitch, if you're here on Twitch, it's September. September. I don't know why I'm just September. Um, so that's very exciting. I guess. Uh, thanks everybody who signed up wherever you're signing up. Uh, thanks everyone. (laughs) And, uh, we'll be back. Uh, well, like I said, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, some Nintendo games. We'll rank another batch of those. And then Friday, some Mortal Kombat 1. There'll be much much to say about the next Mortal Kombat, I'm sure, uh, by the time we get there. So, come on through. Hang out. Whether you're doing it on a live stream or you're uh, getting, uh, getting it on YouTube... If you're getting these hot bonus shows over on Patreon, next Hall of Fame coming up pretty soon. As soon as these kids stop coughing <laughs> long enough for me to record another video. Oh, man. Yeah, this, last, this last week has been... Ugh. Everyone, everyone's all fucked up. Anyway, I'm going to go flush my toilet like a hundred times. Uh, I mean, the amount of money I just spent to get it fixed. You know, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>